All right, folks, it's time to get started this morning. So with that, I'm going to turn the mic over to your cruise director for this morning, and I'll let him introduce himself, where he's from, and all that good stuff. But good morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Sagebrush Convention. My name is Randall Crosby. I will be your cruise director. I wasn't planning on that. I didn't wear my cruise suit this morning, but Scott caught me by surprise on that one. I like it. Yes, we have a jam-packed agenda here, so we're going to keep it moving this morning. I will say I really had a nice evening last night. We, I, I'm from Florida, by the way. I have a rest stop in Florida, 32 years in the Randolph Shepard vending program. But we had a terrific social evening last night, meet and greet, lots of good food, some libations. Those adult beverages were there. And we had a great time. And we're going to do a lot of learning and having fun this week. I'd like to lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance. If you look to my left, that's stage left, they say. And the flag is there, hand over heart. Please stand, those who may. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Someone's dog got involved, too. That's nice. <laughs> Sounded like a dog bark. Good morning again, everyone. And we'd like to have uh, a prayer at this time from Miles Tim Mashero, a Randolph Shepard business operator from Hawaii. Miles, please go right ahead. He's coming around. He's coming up now. We'll get a microphone to him. Good morning, everyone. Aloha. Aloha. How y'all doing? That's pretty good. Huh? I'm from Hawaii and I'm saying, how y'all doing? <laughs> Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to the Kansas City Chiefs? <laughs> okay, well, anyway, let's, let's, let's um, pause for prayer. Father God, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America for enabling us to remain vigilant, um, united. We ask that you continue to um, just enhance this organization, Lord. We thank you for each and every one who has attended today, both online as well as physically here. Lord, we, we have been blessed by so much um, good leadership, and it's, it's sad that um, many have left us, but we have been mentored, so may we continue the, the, um, the road to successful businesses through the Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you for that, Miles. Thank you. I like Miles' sense of humor. That's great. <laughs> we have to take time to laugh. That's important. And at this time, we will hear from our president of Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America, who comes to us from Minnesota. 
He tells me it's colder there than here. It was funny because we were talking last week. I, I'm coming from Florida. He's coming from uh, Minnesota. He said, we, my wife, he's, my wife, Issa, and I can't wait to get here to a warmer climate in Nevada, in Las Vegas. I said, man, me and Patty, we're packing sweaters and jackets coming from Florida. So it was kind of funny perspective, right? At this time, we'd like to hear from our president, Mr. Scott Egan. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, welcome, one and all, and good morning. Oh, that was a little weak. Have you guys had too much breakfast? Let's try this again. Good morning. Oh, that's what I like to hear. Yes, good morning. Uh, welcome, Sagebrush 2023, Betting on a Better Future. Can you think of a better title, being in Las Vegas? We're betting on a better future, and because of all of you, I think things are going to look much brighter. All right, first off, I want to thank everyone who's been on the Sagebrush Committee with me. Uh, first off, I want to say thank you so much to Artist Basin. Artist, I don't know that this ever could have happened without your help. Uh, you've been amazing. Um, all the difficulties you've worked through, but publicly I want to thank you for the great job you do in putting this all together. And um, uh, let's give Artist a hand. Also, if these folks are in the room, I'm going to ask you to stand up. I want you to give these folks an applause as well. You can't believe how much time and effort, unless you've worked on one of these, that it takes to continually meet, discuss how we're going to have this thing come off, and to actually have it come off as great as it does. So with that, uh, I'd like to thank Linda Allison, Randall Crosby, Jerry House, LaDonna Siegler, Miles, and Kim Venerable. So if you folks are in the room, could you please stand up and let's give these folks a hand. Thank you. All right, I also want to thank Phil Hubbard and Kurt Jones uh, on behalf of the USBGA. They're going to be here on Wednesday. Uh, they're going to be giving us a little demonstration on Friday of uh, what it's like to play golf and what a, what a unique experience for a blind person to try out your hand at golf. And uh, there's one more person I have to thank. He makes us sound so incredibly good. Again, couldn't do it without him. Rick Morin, thank you so much. Let's give Rick a hand. And certainly, it takes a team. <laughs> it, it, yes, it does. Thank you. It does, artists. Absolutely. And I, I do want to thank my, my wife, Isa, for helping out. She just never seems to amaze me. She knows when to be at the right place and, and dive in and help out. Uh, we thank her. And um, uh, all the outstanding panelists that are coming up this week, too, um, be sure to thank them because. It takes a lot to volunteer your time, uh, share your knowledge with us, and that's just something that is so incredible, and we, we uh, need to thank them for that. So with that, I have some words of note, some things to remember. Uh, I've got 10 of them, and I'm sure Rick has been over there wondering, when is this man going to tell something funny? Okay, so here's one to remember. 
I started out with nothing, and I still have most of it. Change is inevitable, except from a vending machine. I can handle pain until it hurts. Why is abbreviation such a long word? I, I didn't fight my way to the top of the food chain to be a vegetarian. I've only been wrong once, and that's when I thought I was wrong. I used to think I was indecisive, but now I'm not so sure. If everything is coming your way, then you're in the wrong lane. They told me I was gullible, and I believe them. And my last one, the lottery, a tax on people who are bad at math. And with that, I, I'm, I'm going to pass the mic back over to our cruise director, but I wanted to leave you with one of my favorite YouTube artists. Uh, he puts out some great videos, and he, uh, his videos have to do with buying old cars and restoring them. Uh, his name is Dennis Collins, but the favorite line he always uses is, and I'm going to swing my arms from the right to the left, grab your cup of joe and let's go. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. That was great. I love those 10 funny things. That's terrific. <clears throat> I love humor and laughing and, <clears throat> excuse me, I, uh, for years I've told, and we become blind as most of us in the room are blind or many of us, we, we become resilient, don't we? We learn what it means to laugh at ourselves and keep our sense of humor. For years I told people at the age of 27, I looked at myself in the mirror with what little sight I had left. I realized I have a real problem. Life's going to change for, for the more difficult for me from this point on. As I looked at myself in that mirror at 27 years of age, I told myself, I'm legally bald. What a terrible thing. <laughs> now, yes, of course, I'd lost my sight. I was becoming legally blind, too. But really, blindness is one thing. But losing the hair baldness at 27, that's just wrong. Anyway, we always have to laugh. I'd like to introduce this young lady who is going to welcome us to Nevada. She is Trudy Bosano, who I've had the pleasure of meeting this morning and talking with in person here. It's been great. Trudy is the president of the Nevada Council of the Blind. Please, Trudy, go right ahead. Thank you. I'd like to welcome everyone to breezy Las Vegas. Hopefully the breeze will diminish and it'll warm up. Unfortunately, I have some sad news. Most of you know, have known Rick Kumi, who was in charge of the uh, volunteers here for many years. We lost him last year, uh, year ago in October to COVID. Also, many of you may know um, Kay Poe, who originally started, who originally started uh, Sagebrush. He was the blind vendor at. He had the gift shop out at Boulder Dam, or Hoover Dam, whichever one you want to call it. We call it both. Um, we lost him to, uh, for di because of dialysis um, about two, three years ago, about a year after we lost his precious wife, Lois. Sorry to say. <laughs> 
That's, and again, I'd like to welcome you uh, back to Las Vegas. Hopefully we'll see you again here next year. Thank you, Trudy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, we, we are losing a lot of operators nationally, aren't we? And uh, we've seen our losses. Uh, we have lost for those reasons that were mentioned, retirements, people move on, but uh, we continue on. That's what counts. And yes, welcome to Breezy, Nevada, as said by Trudy, absolutely. We took a walk yesterday, and it was chilly out there, but when we were in the sun, it was beautiful. And so, at this time, I'd like to welcome, to also welcome us, Ivan Delgado, the vice chair. Yeah, go ahead. Applause is fine. Applaud. <laughs> Applause is good. Ivan Delgado is the vice chair of the Nevada State Count Committee of the Blind Vendors. He's over here, Donna. And by the way, being hybrid these days, we're, we're figuring this out, folks. It's different, a feel to it, when we're virtual and... And welcome to our virtual folks out there. We can't see you, but we know you're there and glad you're in, tuning in. And the, virtu the, the hybrid element's a little different. So once Ivan has a, a live microphone there. Uh, welcome, Ivan. Hello. Hello. Good morning, everybody. Oh, come on. I, I'm only 32 years old, and I think we have more energy than that. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. There you go. Listen, I'd like to welcome everybody to the beautiful city of Las Vegas, Nevada. My name is Ivan Delgado. I am the NCBV vice chair here in this beautiful state. Um, I, I'd like to thank again everybody for coming here. I've seen some familiar faces. Nikki's up here in the front. Mike. Uh, well, there's a few mics that I've been going encountering with. Um, but honestly, guys, I've been in this program for about 10 years now, and it's been such a blessing. I look forward to speaking with you guys and meeting new faces. Thank you guys again, and uh, go Knights go, baby. Right here. Right here. Oh, yeah. Thank you for that, Ivan. Great. And now... I'll turn it back to our president, Scott Egan. Thank you, Randall. Uh, at this time, this is one of the parts of this I always enjoy. We are going to be sending a microphone around, and we'd like all of you at, in, we'll start with the folks in the room. Introduce yourself with your name and what state you're from, and maybe just a snibblet about why you're here. Uh, if, you have a, if you have a business, or if you're an SLA person, but uh, we, we thank you for coming. This has been a challenge to kind of get the uh, train back on the rails again, but I uh, feel like we're, we're back, we're chugging along, and um, welcome everyone, and if uh, we were ready with the microphone, uh, we could start at the first table and find out who's here. The mic, there it is, there it is, good morning. I'm Donna Seliger from uh, Des Moines, Iowa, and um, I'm going to go around and collect all of your names, and then I'll get them back. <laughs> I remember when Richard Bird used to do this job, and he did such a terrific job of <clears throat> going around and checking everybody out. So I would like to start with those people who are uh, with us virtually, 
Uh, Argus, you want to start? Oh, you want to do the virtual ones now? Is that, what, is that what you're saying? Yes. Oh, okay. I'm Artis Bazin, and I'm from Burbank, California. <clears throat> and I'm just glad we could do Sagebrush um, where we could do virtual and in person. Otherwise, I'd miss it altogether. <laughs> Thank you. Anyone else on the line? Uh, yes, uh, Kevin Berkeley, her husband. Thank you. Always here. <laughs> Great, and you're taking a good care, taking good care of artists. We miss you guys. <laughs> Same here. We miss being there. Okay, we'll we'll start tables. Hello, I'm Molly Gould. I'm from Olympia, Washington. Uh, our company is Warren Key Food Services, and our owner was unable to attend. She lost her escort, so I am here. Um, but yeah, we are a blind vendor and very excited to be here and learn about our future. Thank you. Paul Escalano from Mississippi. I'm a vendor. Been in the program for seven years. Wonderful. Thank you. Welcome. Orlando Ramirez, a vendor from the state of Florida. Been in the program for about five years now. Yay, Florida. Welcome. Thank you for coming. Alton Palmore, great state of Florida, military dining. Been in the program uh, about 10 years. Wonderful. Thank you. Jim Worth, uh, chairman of Florida, and I don't know how long I've been in the program. A long time. <laughs> Seems like forever. Good morning, Jim. Thank you for being here. Uh, it's Randy Schuster from Florida, um, Highway Vending. Marilyn Giles Robinson, I'm from Jacksonville, Florida, Highway Vending. All right, welcome. Bernie Casario, I'm a business consultant with the Florida SLA. Been uh, 28 years. Wonderful. Thank you for attending. Joshua Kimry, route operator from Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> been in the program for four years. Great. Thank you for be being here. I think we found where all the Florida people were hiding over in the corner. <laughs> Hi, good morning. Lindsay Rudder from Food Service, Inc. of Gainesville. Wonderful. Welcome. Valerie Hester from Georgia. Contract matter. Hi, good morning. This is Mary Baker from Nashville, Tennessee. Been in the program since 94. Wonderful. Welcome. Thank you. I'm Max Doherty, California chair and uh, NABM board member, and I run for Irwin with FSIG. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Gloria Blanco, first time here. Woo. Yay. <laughs> uh, welcome, first timers. Let's give them a hand. Know. Good morning, Rich Martusi with Food Service Incorporated of Gainesville or FSIG. Thank you. Timmy Partner. Welcome. Good morning, I'm Don James with FSIG. Steve Grandonico, FSIG. Greg Riley, FSIG. Catherine Colaparty, FSIG. Dennis Morris, Memphis, Tennessee. Frank Colaparty, Military Dining with FSIG from New Jersey. Oh, 
uh, Reginald Dawson out of Memphis, Tennessee, and I've been in the program uh, for four years now. Wonderful. Thanks for attending. Sierra Scow, Wisconsin. <coughs> Kent, Kent Walzer, Wisconsin. Well, good morning, Kent. Welcome from Wisconsin. <laughs> good morning, uh, John Hewlett, Minnesota SLA. Yay, Minnesota. Well, good morning, John. <laughs> well, thanks to, to artists. This is Kathy Welsh uh, from Nevada, from Pahrump. And uh, I am selling the 50-50 tickets. So if anybody's interested... Thank you for us. reminding us. 50-50 tickets. Please make sure you get a chance to purchase those this week. That helps us out tremendously. Thank you. Thank you for being here microphone. I appreciate it. Randy Parker, I'm with Cantaloupe. Been there for about three years. Here to join the family and hopefully repeat the tradition. Thanks. Good morning Jeanine and thanks. Galang. I'm with Cantaloupe. Been there over three years. Wanted to come down here, find out more about the program and discuss what we can do to help your business succeed. So, or help your business succeed more. So, thank you. Thank you for being here. My name's Wylam Way. I'm an intern from Florida. Jason Carpenter, a vendor out of Tallahassee, Florida. Um, I've been a licensed operator um, for about eight years now. Wonderful. Thank you for attending. Patrick Martin out of Tallahassee, Florida. I'm a licensed operator. This is my first year and my first attendance. Wonderful. Good morning, Patrick. You missed the bunch. They're over there. <laughs> My name is Richard Eberly. I'm a business enterprise officer, too, in northern Nevada for the Ben program. Wonderful. Thank you for being here. I'm Jason Birmingham, Jason. a business enterprise officer, one, for the business enterprises in Nevada. Wonderful. Thank you. Good morning again. This is Ivan Delgado, NCBV vice chair of Las Vegas, Nevada. Raiders. <laughs> I could counter that with Vikings. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Michael Talley. I'm the EC chair from Alabama. I've been a licensed blind vendor for 20 years. Good morning, Michael. Thank you for attending. At Birmingham, first vice president, National Association of Blind Vendors, vendors. Uh, from Chicago, Illinois, and uh, I've been around for 40 years. Wonderful. Thank you for attending, Ed. Thank you. Hi, Nikki Gakis, uh, Chair of the Committee in New Jersey, President of the National Association of Blind Merchants. Sagebrush was the first conference I ever attended some 30 years ago. Used to run part of this with the great late Kay Poey, who we miss so much. And we talked about that we're losing numbers. We are down under 1,600 blind licensed vendors in the United States. We need to do that, so I'm here to support this conference and hope to create some partnerships and relationships. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you for being here, Nikki. Thank you. Mike. Oh, we gotta need the mic back. We missed somebody at the table. Hi, somebody um, important. Yeah. Miles <laughs> Thomasero, RSVA member. Deborah Newton, Little Rock, Arkansas, BP staff. Anita Ursery, I'm here to assist my husband, Sorrento Ursery. We've got a couple people at this table we missed. Let's get them in too. My name is Sorrento Ushery. I'm from the Magnolia State of Mississippi, blind bender for about nine years, 
And I want to say I love coming to Sagebrush. I'm betting on a better future other than betting on that million dollars I'm going to win. Uh, Mike Colburn, uh, committee chair, Minnesota, second vice president of National Association of Blind Merchants, and uh, sixth year being a licensed blind vendor in the state of Minnesota. I have a state university and a couple smaller community colleges. Thank you, Mike. Welcome. Aloha. Uh, Aloha. Ronald Floramata from the state of Aloha. I've been a vendor for even dozen, and I'm loving it for this wonderful program. Mahalo. Hello. I'm Norman Ota. I'm from Hawaii. I have a facility at the VA clinic, <clears throat> and um, I came here to see how other people have found solutions to some of the problems that we've been facing for the last couple of years. So thank you for having us here. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Mike Pemble. I'm with the State Licensing Agency in Michigan. I've been with them uh, for 11 years now, with the state of Michigan for 35 years. And um, I really enjoyed my time at being uh, in the administrative role over the Business Enterprise Program for the state of Michigan. And happy to be here with some fine vendors and my program manager who are seated at this table too. My name is Mike Constantini. I'm a blind operator from Michigan, highway person. I've been in the program. July will be 29 years. Wow. Thanks for coming. My name is Zach Eagle and uh, Caffeine in Lansing, Michigan, and uh, I've been in the program for six years. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Ben Plock. I'm the chair of the EOC Committee for Michigan. I have a cafeteria in the state capitol complex, and I've been in the program almost 20 years. My name is Kevin Williamson. I've been a vendor for 23 years, Tennessee. Good morning, my name is James Hull. I am the program manager in Michigan and I've been with the SLA for uh, just over 18 years now. Wonderful, welcome. Okay, I'm Terry Smith with the National Association of Blind Merchants um, and I've been around since Roosevelt signed the bill in 1936. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we missed that one, okay. Thank you, Terry, good seeing you. Good morning, Kara Travers from Colorado. Good morning, I'm Char Hawkins, my husband Jerry. We're here from Oregon, it's our first time. Hi, Nikki and Terry. Wonderful, welcome, glad to have you here. I'm Glenn McCulley from Seattle, Washington, and I'm a former vendor, still a supporter of the program, and love to be here. Good morning, Jim Swartz, Anchorage, Alaska, proud member of Randolph Shepard Vendors of America, and a vendor in Alaska for, let me check, uh, 39 years. Wow, welcome, welcome. Thanks for coming. Thanks for that extra trip from Alaska. Good morning, I'm Charlie Glazer from Stone Mountain, Georgia, and 
Due to the unfortunate passings, uh, I am the sole surviving past president of RSVA and currently the president of the American Blind Bowling Association. Uh, Al Travers from Colorado, uh, part, teaming partnering with Southern Food Service, been a blind vendor since 1967. Wonderful. Welcome. Good morning. I'm Emma Palmer from Shreveport, Louisiana, and I've been in the program 17 years. And I would also like to mention that we lost Terry Commodore during yes. the COVID time from keeping our memory. Absolutely. Terry, Terry was an amazing person. Thank you for coming. Good morning. My name's Steve Endress. I'm the Western Regional Sales Manager for USI. We're out of Des Moines, Iowa. I live in Phoenix, Arizona. Wonderful, welcome. Hi, I'm Mark Erickson, blind vendor from Tacoma, Washington. Welcome, thank you for coming. Good morning, Bob Daubach. You selected Des Moines, Iowa, live in Illinois. I know these guys at the table to the right of me from Michigan, I think, so. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Good morning, thanks for coming. Latanza Everett from Mississippi. This is my first time attending and first year in the program. Wonderful, welcome. We are so thrilled to have you. Give her a hand, absolutely. Thank you for coming. Good morning, I'm Walt Berry, president of Southern Food Service Management. Uh, we're a sponsor uh, of, of this and Sagebrush and have been for the last 20 years. Uh, and we are a teaming partner. Wonderful. Good morning, Walt. Thanks for coming. Good morning. I'm Marianne Grignon. I am here actually representing Accessible Pharmacy Services for the Blind. I'm also a blind vendor in Florida um, for the last 13, uh, 10 years, I guess. 10 years. Great. Wonderful. Thank you. Good morning, it's Heather Howe from Alaska, Anchorage, Alaska, and I am a trainee, and this is my first time attending the Sagebrush. Wonderful, welcome, thank you for coming. We are so thrilled to have you. Good morning, Olivia Carr-Odom from the Alaska SLA. Wonderful, welcome. Hi, Jim Hemmond from uh, Washington State, I'm the SLA. Wonderful, welcome, thank you for coming. Good morning, Alicia Morris, EC Chair from Georgia, also a military um, contract manager. I think I've been in the program 13 years now. Good morning. My name is Michael Mason. Uh, I've been in the Blind Venice program for more than 10 years, and I'm hopefully here to learn how to better enhance my business and meet some of these wonderful people here today. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you for coming. Have we got everybody, Donna? I think so. I've got one more table that we missed, but I'm here to make sure we find out who the folks are at this table. So here we go. Paul Patchy, California vendor, and uh, Randall Shepard, uh, vendor, uh, uh, president of California. Sandy Balani, California, BEP operator for 17 years. Uh, Dave Carroll, Presidio of Monterey, Monterey, California. My wife, Alicia, and I are here for the first time. Can I grab 
Richard Taylor, um, operator in Reno, Nevada. Also the CEO and founder of BMG, the first ever blind independent record label. And this is my first year here. Wonderful, thank you. Uh, Ryan Barnard, uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, and I'm one of the BEOs down here. All right, did we get everyone? Scott, Two more. Well, okay, Scott, we want to make sure we catch them. Where are they? Right here. Oh, right here. Okay. Scott, I want to say something at the end, too, please. Yeah. Good morning, Jerry Gann, California's best vendor. <laughs> Self-proclaimed, I just want to say. Uh, San Diego uh, Naval uh, Food Service with FSIG and uh, Vending Route. So thank you, guys. First time here. Wonderful. We're glad to have you. Thank you. Really? Yep. Hi, I'm Joni Patchy, and uh, I've been a vendor for 41 years. And um, let's see. That's all I know. I'm from California. Wonderful. Welcome. Thank you. Okay, I think that's everybody. So, Rick, did you have something? Yeah, I sure do. Hi, everybody. I'm Rick Moore, and I'm with uh, ACB Media. And we're broadcasting this event live on ACB Media 8. We've done this now for nine years. This is our ninth year. Uh, the American Council of the Blind is really proud and privileged to be part of your sagebrush. So thank you for having, having us. I'm here in memory of Dan Sippel, by the way, who um, we've passed and, and a dear friend. Um, in addition, Scott, to the people here in the room, we have another 22 people who are attending virtually. Oh, wonderful. And I've got all of their microphones open. Several of them have already introduced themselves. If there's any additional folks uh, that want to unmute yourself and just identify, just introduce yourself, you're more than welcome to at this time. Also, I want to tell everybody, too, that on the right-hand side of the screen, there is a video screen a projector and a screen where you'll be able to see people that are attending in Zoom who have their cameras on. So if you happen to have usable vision and would like to see what some of these people look like, uh, artists looks really lovely today. Uh, I mean, we can see artists uh, straight on. But uh, I suggest you would just go to the other, other the, uh, uh, to the, to the right-hand side of the podium if you're facing the stage and fill in some of the seats up there. So, virtual folks, anybody want to identify yourself? Hi, I'm Jennifer Wright. I'm Jennifer Wright, um, assistant director of VE in Kentucky. Wonderful. Welcome. Rex Thank you. Morris, blind vendor in Tennessee. Wonderful. Welcome. Lynn Huswick, um, Ohio SLA. Herbert Rito, Louisiana. Hey, good morning, Herbert. Good to have you here. Thank you. All right, thank you. Hi, my name's uh, Colton Knight. I'm a uh, vendor out of Florida. Colton, good to hear from you. Thank you for joining us. Yes, sir. Thank you, Scott. Kelsey Burrier, business consultant out of Ohio. Wonderful. Welcome. Thank you for being with us. Anybody else virtually? So Scott mentioned earlier that we're doing this hybrid, which means that there are people that are attending this conference virtually, and those few people that you just heard, they sound like they're in the room with you all. Um, so as, as people are talking and presenting, let's not forget about the people here. Uh, if any of the people virtual 
would like to ask questions or whatever through the course of the event, please raise your hand and we'll recognize you. And that's all I had, Scott. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you. And I believe that's all I have. So one last time, please, give yourselves a hand. It's so good to see a room full of people wanting to learn about the vending industry and here to work with each other. You're all fantastic. Looking forward to a great week. I'm always around. If you need something, please pull me aside and let me know. But uh, I'm going to hand it back to your cruise director for the morning here, and please enjoy. Good morning, everyone, again. And I'm going to set my coffee cup down and redirect the ship in the proper path. Got to watch out for icebergs out here in cold Nevada. Yeah, that was fantastic. I love hearing all from all our vendors. And now I'm finally... This is my first time at Sagebrush also, very first time. It took me 32 years to get here. I'm so happy I got here. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I'm just happy I can put faces to all your names now. Oh, wait a minute. I'm totally blind. Okay, you got me on that. Faces. I can put voices to the names. Yeah, terrific. And your stories. I love that guy in California. I like the confidence from him, right? I often say, if you can't promote yourself, who the heck else is going to do it for you, you know? Yes. Let's keep this moving along. And real quick, I do want to say, my wife Patty is not in the room. Patty Crosby, she's otherwise detained at the moment, but she's been alongside of me for 40 years. We're married, 32 years in business together. Can you believe it? I'm still alive to tell about it. And the woman's a saint. There's a special place in heaven for her. And 40, 32 years together, but real quick, I'm a licensed vendor also in Colorado. I want to say hello to you Colorado vendors I heard out there. For two years, we, lived, we moved from Florida after 24 years in Randolph Shepard, and I got licensed in Colorado after they shut down the space shuttle missions at the Space Center. We had to go somewhere. And I like to say we went from serving the Space Center to serving the Spacey Senators. I apologize to all you senators in the room, but I had to say that. So moving along, let's hear from USI, things that are happening in Uselectic. We will hear from... Mr. Bob Dahlbeck, who is the Midwest Regional Sales Director out there. Um, Please, Bob, give us, oh, artist, did you want to say something? We need to have a beginning code. I'm sorry? We need a beginning code for those who are doing CE credit um, first. Oh, code. Right, so I'll uh, I'll read it. Sagebrush 2023. A123Z. 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 I think we're good on that. Okay. Everybody got that. We'll move along. Yeah. And so at this time, we'll hear from Bob Dalbeck of You Select It. Once he becomes unmuted. Yeah. Oh, we're great. He's in person. <laughs> All right. Good morning. Thanks for having us. First of all, I want to say thank you for the business. Thanks for the business the last three years during this miserable time of COVID. I know that we've struggled getting equipment, getting parts, getting people. I know that it's happened everywhere. So it'll be nice. Look forward to this year coming up. I think we're going to start getting out of all of this. And, and move forward with more people and more products coming out. And, uh, and hopefully all of you guys can find more employees to help you guys get through the future too. So 
I have a little video. This is a new product that we have coming. And uh, it's, act, it's actually going to take me a few minutes to set it up. Okay. So right. I'll let you know when we got it ready to go. Okay. All right. No problem. So we still are going to carry both of our lines, our Mercado series and our Evoke series. Uh, we will... We're, we're shipping product now. We were on as long as six months getting equipment out at one time. We're down to anywhere between six weeks to 12 weeks now on, on moving product out. Uh, we've had a lot of issues trying to get things in, especially we were involved in the chip deal for our machines, similar to the automotive industry where we couldn't get chips. And... Uh, I mean, we started out with a chip that cost $2 that on the black market was going for $2,200. So it's been quite the ride for the last couple years, and we're doing everything we can to try to keep the cost down. Nobody's cost on anything's gone up in the last couple of years, I know that. So, so I'll let Steve talk for a minute. He does the West Coast. I am Steve Indris, West Coast Regional Sales Manager. I'm glad we got to meet in person this year. Um, the virtual thing we've done for the last couple years, but uh, we're glad to be here. We're, we're going to have a booth tomorrow. Please come by and say hi. We'll show you what's new. We're about to play a video of the Evoke Market, which is a new hybrid market that we're very... Uh, proud of and we're looking forward to breaking it out in the fall or in the in March so huh? April, 1st. April 1st but please come by and say hi oh. guys I just want to let you know I'm having some a few technical glitches to do this so what I'd like to suggest we do is that we can play the video um, at, at a break, or I'll let you know in between sessions when we're ready to go with this. All right, okay. well, you can just, okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks right. for your patience. All right, no problem. Thank you, Bob. I'm, I'm glad you're here because uh, I've got something I'd like to share with you. Uh, I'm going to read the plaque to you here. I have a plaque to give, and it says, Randolph Shepard, Vendors of America, uh, Sagebrush BEP training conference, uh, special recognition to you selected. There are RSVA Zebra sponsor. And with that, I'd, I'd like to say thank you, Bob. It's always a pleasure to have you here, and thank you so much. Thank you. Good to be here. All right, back to your cruise director here. Thank you, Mr. President. And uh, yes, we appreciate our sponsors. That's a very important part of what we do in Randolph Shepard Vendors of America. We need those sponsors and we greatly appreciate those who contribute to that. All right, we'll be looking forward to hearing and seeing that video later on. Thank you, Bob Dalback, and we'll move on to next. We'll be hearing about government affairs and trends in the industry. We have the Director of Government Affairs with National Automatic Merchandising Association, Robert Jackson. Robert, step up to the microphone when you're ready. 
Here's Robert. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for your patience, all. Really happy to be here. First time attendee in a person. Uh, have been able to speak here a couple times virtually. But even uh, more happy to be back in my hometown of Las Vegas, Nevada. Hope you're all enjoying it. My name is Robert Jackson. I'm Director of Government Affairs at the National Automatic Merchandising Association. And uh, thank you for having me here today. I just want to highlight some of the work that NAMA is doing in the government affairs space and talk about what we're doing for the convenience service industry and hopefully start brainstorming on how you all can be a part of our effort and how we can all continue to work together. So jumping right in, I want to talk about some administrative things that are going on at NAMA, some events and highlights, and then we can get to the fun politics stuff. Uh, so upcoming events to highlight, uh, March 3rd, Thursday, is uh, National Vending Day. This is an effort that NAMA's been doing for the past decade, trying to promote and highlight the industry on social media. If you post using the hashtag Vending Day uh, this year, uh, one person will be selected at random for free access to the NAMA show. June, looks like. Uh, speaking of the NAMA show, we do have a special discount code for everybody in this room and on the Zoom. RSA23 for operator members and non-members. It's a special rate. I'll repeat that one more time. RSA23 is uh, the special discount code for this group at the NAMA show. And then I wanted to talk a little bit, since we're on events and NAMA events, I want to talk about the flying coming up this year. Uh, this will be July 25th through the 26th. Uh, why should you attend? Well, we're going to be meeting with our senators and congressmen up in D.C. We're going to be talking about some of the issues most relevant to the industry, uh, an issue that I'll talk a little bit about later uh, that is going to be of prime importance is the uh, SNAP issue. As most of you know, uh, the convenience service industry is not eligible uh, to receive or accept SNAP EBT food stamp benefits. We're looking to change that. And so we hope you all join us in Washington, D.C. to be a part of that conversation. Uh, so jumping to federal affairs now and what NAMA is working on at the federal level. Uh, first and foremost, we have the employee retention tax credit. Uh, many of you in this room know what it is, but just in case someone doesn't and isn't taking advantage of it, you should know about it. So the employee retention tax credit uh, was a pandemic era credit for small businesses that were 20% down or more. And this was in 2020 and 2021. There was an important change that a lot of people aren't aware of uh, that you can actually have taken PPP in 2021 and get the ERTC in 2021. So work with your uh, financial consultants and see if you can't take advantage of this. It's $7,000 per employee per quarter that they were on the payroll in 2020 and 2021. So what happened to this credit? Well, in 2021, in October, the uh, government signed, President Biden signed the infrastructure bill. This infrastructure bill uh, was widely applauded but there was one little hiccup. It used the last quarter of 2021 ERTC to pay for parts of this infrastructure bill. So we're talking 
uh, about $8 billion was taken from this program and given to the infrastructure bill. This was alarming, especially because the bill was signed into law in October 2021, so some folks who took advantage of this program are now dealing with really painful clawbacks from the IRS. We're trying to help our members with that. So what are we doing? Well, NAMA started a coalition uh, that grew to over 100 small business trade associations trying to restore the fourth quarter of the ERTC to make sure that if you're eligible for the program in the fourth quarter, that you get the money in the fourth quarter. That legislation uh, did not pass before the Congress ended. So now we're in a situation where we have the new Congress, uh, a new chairperson for the Committee of Relevance, or the Committee of Jurisdiction, rather. This, uh, and this is really exciting because the new chair of the uh, Ways and Means Committee is a supporter of the legislation. So we're pushing forward on that. We're trying to get it done uh, and be sure to take advantage of it in the next few years before the deadline runs out if you are, in fact, eligible. The second piece of the ERTC that I want to mention is payments. I know some people in this room and I know people across the nation have been waiting sometimes years now for the ERTC payments. This is uh, really disheartening and we've been working with members of Congress, senators, congresswomen, congressmen, to make sure that these payments are done in a more timely manner. The IRS is about to have a new commissioner. We want to make it absolutely clear during the hearings that are bound to happen for confirmation that everyone in the IRS understands that these payments need to be done in a more timely manner. Uh, so moving onward from the ERTC, I would want to talk a little bit about the PART Act, which is something we're really excited about in AMA. Uh, people across the nation, especially in the convenience service industry, are being affected by Cadillac converter theft. Uh, the war in Ukraine has made that significantly worse because Russia made uh, one of the rare earth minerals mined and processed one of the rare earth minerals that's used in catalytic converters. So we're in a situation where catalytic converter theft was already a problem, but now it's been exacerbated because uh, the catalytic converters are all that more valuable. So we are working with a lot of different organizations to uh, try to prevent catalytic converter theft. This is by labeling the catalytic converters with a stamp similar to a VIN number, so that way when people reprocess the catalytic converters, they can tell if they've been stolen or not. But that is the PART Act. We're really excited that NAMA was considered to be an original sponsor of that legislation. And it's been introduced, and we think it's going to pass. Uh, and so we're trying to make sure that that helps both operators and suppliers in, as their catalytic converters are being stolen. Moving on to state affairs, I did want to highlight uh, just the change in the state of play in the state houses. While Republicans still have a majority of trifectas, this is, uh, the term trifecta means they have the state house, they have the state senate, and they have the governor's house. Republicans still have the majority of trifectas. Democrats made significant gains, gained trifectas in Massachusetts and Maryland. Uh, typically, uh, when a trifecta happens, that's when you gotta start paying really close attention in my job because there's no check, right? So either political party can kind of go off the rails and start doing some silly things because there's no real opposition. So we've been keeping an eye on these trifectas moving forward. Of course, the issue of catalytic convert theft is being addressed at the state level too, and that's something that we're engaged in. Income tax relief is expected in 17 red states this year. So if you're in a red state, uh, 
there's a potential for some income tax relief. And if you're in a blue state, uh, we got uh, an upcoming wealth tax. Uh, several states just came out together and are in a coordinated effort are trying to impose a wealth tax between their states. Right now, there's only seven states a part of this, and it's the usual suspects, California, Illinois, et cetera. But uh, we'll see if this passes. There's some questions about the constitutionality of this wealth, wealth tax. So keep, we'll keep an eye, and we'll be keeping you informed. I just want to highlight briefly, I just wanted to highlight briefly, sorry, some regulations that we have uh, submitted comments on. I've got to check my notes on these because these get a little wonky on me. So uh, we submitted a comment to the EPA regarding the phase down of HFCs. NAMA has highlighted the, those are hydrofluorocarbons that are the government's really trying to crack down on our refrigerants. Uh, we've highlighted that we want a delayed phase down in part because of all the critical components that are being lost or delayed in the supply chain. And then we also did a comment on the uh, proposed rule to change the definitions of independent contractor. So the Trump administration changed some of the rules around independent contractors, making it more favorable, more easier to define somebody as an independent contractor. And then, of course, the Biden administration's coming in, and they're changing those rules right back to where they were. Uh, so we're engaged on that. And then we'll just do a little bit of punditry here, talk about what the future looks like in Washington and how that might impact the industry. Uh, 2024, the map is looking pretty bleak for Democrats in the Senate. They're going to be playing defense in states where Trump won by five or six or even ten points. Uh, so it's anticipated as of today that Republicans will flip the Senate. Of course, you're all well informed of the presidential election and all the drama surrounding, you know, will Ron DeSantis run against Trump, won't he? The State of the Union tonight is expected to be a real clear indication whether President Biden intends to run for re-election. So we'll be watching that closely. Currently, with the way that the government's currently set up, with Kevin McCarthy being the House leader, the Republican House leader, we are now facing a divided government. Uh, this has some good things associated with it, but also some bad things in the fact that presidents tend to start leaning on the administrative state. So we expect to see in the next two years a wave of regulations and executive orders. NAMA will be engaged on all those and keeping an eye on them. And then I guess the last big picture item that I want to highlight that you're just going to be hearing a lot about in the news is the debt ceiling. Uh, Republicans have already started negotiating with President Biden, trying to figure out how they can avoid breaching the debt limit. Uh, of course, the consequences of breaching the debt limit would be pretty catastrophic. So everyone in D.C. and around the nation and around the globe is holding their breath. Luckily, uh, they've already met, started negotiations, and both uh, Speaker McCarthy and President Biden have come out and said publicly that things are going really well and they're closer together than they are far apart on the issue. Well, I would love, uh, I saved a bunch of time here for some questions and answers. Happy to answer any questions about NAMA's current priorities 
old priorities or future priorities uh, or anything I just said here if anyone has any questions. Yeah, we'll start with questions in the room first. Uh, we'll get a mic to you and then we'll have anyone on virtual. Anyone in the room can raise their hand or just stand up and speak once they get a mic there. If there is anyone. Can someone speak up if you want? Otherwise, we'll check in with the virtual folks. Robert, you definitely gave us a lot of information, very detailed report there. Um, I have a question. Um, this is Artis. I wanted to ask you about the, what do you know about the new rules for kiosks? I understand they were coming out with some. Sorry, there's a couple proposed rules that we're tracking uh, that touch on kiosks. Uh, so I'm happy to connect with you later and get some more clarification. One, okay. rule, one rule that we are tracking that we are concerned about is uh, healthy food. Uh, the government's going to start labeling which food's healthy and which ones aren't. And so we're going to try to be engaged on that and make sure that that process is done in the best way it can be. That's always one topic that comes and goes for sure, the healthy foods. Yeah. Uh, well, we are in times that are interesting between uh, the political scene and facing challenges of prices going up. So if anyone doesn't have any further questions. There's no questions on the virtual side. Um, the other, um, another question I had was, I heard, we've heard that Hawaii is trying to do a law to get away of get rid of plastic bottles altogether. Um, do you know exactly um, more about that or if that's affecting other states? Yes, so plastic bottle bans are uh, usually introduced in every state. There's a bill to ban plastic yeah. bottles. Most of the time, the bills go nowhere. Uh, but in a state like Hawaii, that's one where we're actually engaged, working through our coalition partners. Uh, because there's a real threat of it passing there. But it's something we're tracking and engaged with. The last time I checked, the bill had not passed either house. Uh, this was a couple of weeks ago. So in other words, the bill wasn't moving, but was proposed as it was last year and the year before that. So we are tracking and engaged. And if a bill like that does come up, thank you for bringing that to my attention. NIMA has an action center at our website where we highlight bills that would affect our industry either negatively or positively and you can go to our action center and actually engage with your state senator or your state congressman or your senator or your congressman and uh, send them a note and let them know how you feel about this impact so when you have the opportunity please go visit our action center and you can see what bills we're tracking and how they affect you Sure. Can I can I ask one more yeah. uh, additional question, kind of on to Artis's question? So uh, the question has been plastic bottles. Um, how about food containers? What do we know about what's happening with food containers throughout the country? Because I know in Minnesota there's been some squawk back and forth about what food containers can be used, not used, et cetera. What, what can you tell me there? Yeah, so this one's... Uh a little scary because it's really happening at the lowest levels mm -hmm. in terms of municipalities. So we're seeing a lot of municipalities passing this kind of uh, ordinance. So we have uh, cities like Denver, Minneapolis, 
talking about mm -hmm. banning styrofoam, yep. which is really kind of funny because the containers aren't actually styrofoam. <laughs> That's just the jargon. And so they ban styrofoam containers not realizing that none of the containers are actually styrofoam, but right. that's a separate issue. We're engaged. That is something that's sweeping the country. We're trying to make sure that as this transi transition happens, that it happens in a slow way so businesses can adapt at a reasonable pace. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Oh, good question. Yeah, so part of this infrastructure bill, there is a huge investment in charging stations. Uh, currently, there is a good, strong coalition of groups, including NAMA, engaged on this issue, trying to make sure that the uh, rights that you all have there won't go away. Uh, it is right now, when you're talking to policymakers, pushing against an open door. Uh, we're not really facing opposition from policymakers right now. But there are outside groups uh, that are pushing to try to, I guess, liberalize those marketplaces. But we're engaged, we're tracking, uh, but we're honestly just very excited about, I think this investment in these charging stations is gonna help grow some of your businesses. Can people hear these questions out there, virtual, Rick? No, they can't. If you could repeat let's, the let's question, repeat that please. Question on the mic. If, if there's anybody in the room that can be a mic runner, uh, please come to the table here. I, I can repeat this one to make things a little easier. We are. Uh, so he was asking about updates regarding the Coin Metal Modification Authorization Act. This is a bill that NAM is really proud of that we've been working closely with the Treasury Department on. Uh, the Treasury wants to change the metal composition of coins because they cost too much to make at this point. We uh, want to make sure that any change in the composition of metal doesn't affect your current coin reading technology. The Treasury 100% agrees, and so this legislation would give the Treasury permission to change the metal content of coins, but only if it doesn't affect current coin reading technology. Uh, so it's, it's a priority of the Treasury. It's been a priority of the Treasury throughout administrations. Uh, the bureaucrats at the Treasury really love this legislation and are looking to get it done. Uh, it doesn't affect our industry if it doesn't pass, and if it does pass, it won't affect our industry either, but it's a great way to show how we can be cooperative with government agencies. And that also reminds me of, uh, you know, we are also working with the Treasury on some of these changes that you can expect in the next decade, decade and a half, with bills. Uh, the Treasury is changing the composition of a lot, uh, or of all of its uh, bills. So one, five, 10, 20, 100. They're all gonna look a little bit different in the next 10, 15 years. And again, we're working with Treasury to ensure as those changes happen, it doesn't affect your current reading technology. I do have one more question. Yeah. We do have a mic runner now if anybody has got a question. What, what do we know about availability of coins, period? I, I go to my bank, I say I need change for my chain of shoes, and I'm told you're gonna have $20 and 40. Wow. Um, what do you know about that? Is there is there a, still a shortage out there? And what, what's happening? Scott, use the mic, please. Yep. 
so the question was, is the coin shortage and how's it, what is NAMA seeing, at least at the federal level? So we've been engaged with, again, the Treasury on this, and they provided us with really excellent data. I know that there was the big shortage during the early days of the pandemic. Now what we're seeing is kind of this rotating pockets of issues. So all of a sudden there's trouble getting coins into one area, then the problem's solved, everything seems fine, and then it rotates to another. Uh, the Treasury's really trying to fix the problem in any way it can. Uh, I mean, we're in a position now where big box retailers are now FedExing coins to themselves. So it, it's definitely breaking down and we are engaged with Treasury to try to figure out what can we do. Uh, if you do encounter a coin shortage, please reach out to me and let me know because we do have this open channel with Treasury and it's good for them to have that information to know where the coin shortages are happening and when so they can build models and understand what's occurring in the marketplace. Thank you. Right? Yeah. Thank you for all that detailed information, Robert. Great updates. <clears throat> Thanks again. <clears throat> Randall, this is Rick. I, we've got that USI video ready to go, I think, oh. if you want to give that a try. so Sure. Uh, this would be a good time. Go right ahead, Rick, with that video from the USI. Thanks again, Robert. No. I'll re-rack it during lunch. There's no audio. Sorry. Not quite yet. Okay. Well, maybe we'll get to it later on. We'll keep working on that. We will be coming up on a break here shortly at 1010 10 Pacific time. You folks on the virtual world, remember we're on Pacific time here. I'm reminded myself of that from Florida, so <laughs> my eating and meals and sleep is kind of messed up. That's okay. <laughs> All part of the experience. So uh, I want to backtrack a minute here. We've got a little, couple more minutes yet of time here and ask if the USI, was there any questions for Bob Dahlbeck? I was remiss in not giving some question and answer. Can bring Bob back up if there are questions for him at this time. Anybody in the live audience here in person, first of all? Okay, let's get a mic to you, or else I'll repeat your question. Oh, hold on, we're going to get okay. a mic to you. One second here. Scott's coming to you. Hi, Robert. Patrick Martin here from Florida. Uh, if you can make available your email address for contacting you, and I'd be much appreciated. From USI, okay. Yes. Bob Dahlbeck. We'll get that info out. Yeah. If he's not in the room right now, but we'll get that info out. All right. Let, let, let me try the video one more time. Okay. Yes, we've got time. This is the new Evoke Market from You Select It. The Evoke Market is a satellite merchandise cooler connected to a host snack vending kiosk. The level of inventory control offered by the Evoke Market is a hybrid approach. This approach combines a level of product security similar to a vending machine, along with the flexibility and product accessibility of a retail micro-market. The Evoke Market is ideal for offering snacks, cold drinks, and refrigerated food in a single solution. To use the Evoke Market, your customer enters payment at the Evoke Snack Machine. Once payment is received, your customer chooses the unlock option on the Evoke Snack Machine's touchscreen to access the products within the Evoke Market Cooler. Customers then open the Evoke Market Cooler and choose one or multiple items. 
Once the Evoke Market door is closed, it locks automatically. Your customer then completes the purchase of their items by scanning the items via the user interface scanner on the Evoke Snack Machine. All right, thanks for that, Rick. You got that going, good job. Technology being what it is, we all know how that goes. At this time, uh, we're running a few minutes ahead of the agenda, which is great. Uh, we're ahead of schedule. Uh, we need to give an ending code now. Yep. Um, I have an ending code for this session, and it's A230Y. And again, that's A230Y. And then we're gonna give a couple door prizes. So. Um, All right, do you want me to read the door prizes or who won the door prizes here, Artis? Okay, we're, they'll be getting a gift certificate in their email. Um, so um, do you wanna go ahead and read the first name and we'll make sure they're either in the room or Okay, so if you're in the room, we need to hear a loud shout out that you're here. And if you're in the virtual world, I think you need to raise your hand so we can know that you're out in virtual land. So the first name, Dave Carroll. All right. Okay. He's in the room. Dave's in the room. Dave is in the room. Congratulations, Dave. We got a winner. Our, our sec, I think we've got one more, right, artist? One more name? Yes. Okay, yes. so the second name, again, be prepared, Christy Hauk. Christy, are you in the room? Uh-oh. You know, if you're not in the room, you don't win. Yeah, right, and if they're virtual, raise their hand. We'll check with our folks online. Hold on, we've got a hand raised. Uh-oh, oh, maybe... Phone number ending in 613. If you're the winner, you could identify yourself. Christy, are you on? Last call. Otherwise, we'll move on to the next name. All right, uh, we will move on to the next name. Once again, be prepared. James Schwartz. James, are you in the room? There you go. Congratulations, James. All right, James. I think, Mr. Cruz, director, with that, maybe we'll take a, a short break. I believe we're back at, uh, what time do we have? to come back. I think the agenda says 10.15. 10.15. So we'll have a so, little short break. You guys can stretch your legs. Please be back at 10.15 and we'll uh, have 10, the next portion of our program. That's 10.15 Pacific time, folks. Keep that in mind and we'll see you folks back here. Ladies and gentlemen, we're about to get started again. If everybody could please get your comfortable seats, we'll get restarted here again. And Just I a quick reminder for folks that we do have our 50-50 tickets available. So uh, please be looking for somebody to purchase those 50-50 tickets from. They make a great, um, uh, a great donation to RSVA. And um, 
Folks, one more thing. Folks, if I could get your attention, one more thing. In my speech this morning, I was thanking everybody who has worked so hard. I failed to mention our volunteers. So if you get a chance and those volunteers help you, please give them a hand. Tell them thank you as they give you a hand with whatever you may need. They do an incredible job for us. We thank them, and my apologies, I missed you in my round this morning, but uh, you're, you're incredibly important to us. And with that, I'm going to turn the microphone back over to our cruise director for the rest of the morning. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for being here. And Randall, I need to give a beginning code before you begin the next session. Thank you. Um, the beginning code is A145X. Again, it's A145X. All right. Thank you, Artis. Yes, folks, just settle back and enjoy the remainder of the cruise. Just like on any cruise ship, uh, enjoy the libations, the swimming pool, and all those things. And if you've been on a cruise, you know how there's always that karaoke singing moment. I, I believe at this time I've been told our, our, own, our very own president, Scott Egan, likes karaoke, and he's going to do some karaoke for us at this t time. Oh, wait a minute. I'm being told that's not true. All right. Sorry about that. I don't want to kill. But who knows? He might just jump into that. We've got four more days to go here, five days. We'll see if the spirit moves him. All right. Moving forward, let's get on to our agenda here. Now we'll hear from Southern Teaming Partners with an update on things happening there. We have Walt Berry, president of Southern Teaming Partners with us. Walt, when you can make your way up to the mic. Here's Walt Berry. Thank you. Is that one live or you can use this one? Hello. It's live. <laughs> Good morning. Well, I'm uh, Walt Berry and I am president of Southern Teaming Partners, which is a uh, division of Southern Food Service Management. And as I mentioned in the introductions, uh, we've been a proud sponsor of Sagebrush for, I believe, about 20 years. And uh, we are excited about getting back live in Vegas, finally. Uh, it seems like it's been a long time. And the last time we were here was, uh, as everyone recalls, it was the middle of February of 2020. And I don't think anybody had any idea the uh, freight train that was headed down the tracks at us. And uh, so uh, it has uh, affected every, every part of each one of our lives in, in amazing ways. Uh, and it, uh, everybody's still adjusting from it. Um, but we, uh, Southern Teaming Partners uh, is, a, a, as I mentioned, a division of Southern Food Service Management, and we are a professional food management service that teams with uh, the bond vendors to operate uh, the larger accounts, uh, DOD facilities. Uh, we operate for Department of Homeland Security, Department of Energy, 
and uh, the NRC, Nuclear Regulatory, uh, and we, uh, we can do uh, a lot of different accounts uh, that some of the other teaming partners don't have the experience in, which then that's based on our experience uh, in our other business, which is in corporate dining in office space. And um, of course, this business right now is dramatically affected by COVID. Uh, in our private sector uh, business in that area is down. In the, in the teaming partner division, we have had six uh, of those type of accounts that were federal office space uh, closed down uh, and, and just not have food service. Um, fortunately, um, most of those uh, vendors were placed in other facilities, um, but that business, I'm still hopeful, will come back one day. Uh, I don't think it's going to be this year or next, but uh, we are starting to see some momentum in that direction from the private sector. Uh, where they're starting to come back to the office. Companies are requiring uh, the, uh, their, their employees to show up at work. Um, the federal government tried a work-from-home program uh, years ago, uh, and, you know, it, it hurt the business then, but it was, they were phasing it out when COVID hit. So they had experimented with it and decided it would not work and that they were going to be 100% work from office uh, and, and were moving in that direction. And then, of course, COVID totally about-faced that situation. So, um, but that is, you know, some pretty major ways that COVID has affected our landscape. Um, but we have... We picked up new facilities with the Department of Defense, and um, you know we're looking at other new types of venues. Uh, we explored. We we operate football stadiums as another one of our private sector uh, businesses, and we've looked at partnering with uh, uh, the blind on some stadiums. At the end, they didn't work out in this situation, but it's certainly something that could work out. Uh, and so we're trying to explore other opportunities to where, you know, those are, those are state-run. Uh, most of the universities are state-run. A lot of the states have uh, the programs um, that, you know, mirror the federal program. So there's some opportunities that in places where... Uh, you may not have thought of before, like the football stadiums, like certain schools. Uh, we, we partnered uh, on a military academy that was a state-operated uh, military academy for juvenile delinquents. And, uh, you know, so that was something that was a little new and different. Um, so we are, we are continuing to explore uh, new avenues to expand Randolph Shepard and to uh, use our expertise to help do that. So um, 
Anyway, if, uh, does anybody have any questions? I, at this point, I guess I could field a few questions. Nope. Anyone in the room? Or if not in the room, anyone on virtual? Rick, anyone out there? Nobody virtual. All right. Well, with that, I'll turn it back over. And again, I appreciate you allowing us to sponsor. And uh, we are look forward to meeting you all. Walt, I wanted to uh, give you a plaque here from the Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America, our Sagebrush BEP training conference, our special recognition to Southern Food Service, uh, being our Tiger sponsor, and um, on behalf of our 47th annual Sagebrush, um, we, uh, in, in grateful appreciation from myself and RSVA, we want to thank you for being here. Scott, thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you again, Walt Berry and Southern Teaming Partners, and absolutely, we're thankful for our sponsors and partners that work with us. Very important to keep this great conference going and thriving. At this time, we'll have updates from the Rehabilitation Services Administration, RSA, we have with us in person here today. Corin Wiedenthal, um, She's with RSA and uh, got her, bear with me. Sorry, my notes are moving on me here. She comes to us from DC and uh, she's the educational director, chief service programs unit. Sorry folks, I have JAWS in my ear. I listen to JAWS, it reads to me, and then I read out loud, so sometimes it's a little smoother than others. Please, Corin, if you would find your way to the stage here and have a microphone. Is she uh, virtual? Rick, I think yes, you're virtual. Yes, I am. Oh, thank yes, you, I'm sorry. Well, please <laughs> go right ahead, thank you. Thank you very much. I, um, I wish I were there in Vegas. It's probably a lot warmer there than it is here in DC, so. Um, thank you for inviting us to join you today virtually. Um, it's nice to have that option when travel is limited these days. So um, as you mentioned, I'm Corrine Weidenthal, Chief of the Service Programs Unit, working with uh, the Randolph Shepherd Program. I'm very happy to be here today. And uh, I, with me is Jesse Hartle, who will be sharing some updates in a little bit after I, I share some. Uh, and we have Jim McCarthy, uh, who is our arbitration program specialist, and Christine Grassman, who is our conflict resolution specialist. Uh, so that makes up our team of four of us. And uh, we are divided. The three uh, program specialists are each working with 17 states, so they divided it up. Uh, by the East Coast, which is Jesse, Midwest, Christine, and Jim, the West Coast, uh, does not necessarily, uh, it's not necessarily that clean, but that's pretty much uh, how they're divided up in working with states. Uh, the list of contacts is on our RSA website, rsa.ed.gov. 
Um, I'm going to be sharing some updates today from uh, the national kickoff call that we had on January 26th. I realized that the Randolph Shepherd program is um, a, a, a small group of you. Well, it's not that small, but um, you're, you've probably heard many of the updates already because you were already on that call. So um, we hosted this kickoff call uh, with all the BEPs, elective committee representatives. Um, and on that call, we had uh, a panel from New Jersey, Alabama, and Washington State to share information related to innovation and expansion of their programs. And um, I'm going to share just a few things that they shared with us. Uh, we're going to begin uh, regional calls beginning on March 2nd. And we're really hoping that you all will send us suggestions as to the topics and format that uh, you'd like to see in that direction. Um, we had, for two years, we had calls pretty much every other month with three states at a time that were separate from the elected committee calls. And we heard that uh, everybody would like to be together on these calls. So um, that's how we're gonna move forward with that format. But again, topics uh, related to your interest, please let us know. We know that everybody's looking for innovation and expansion of your programs, and uh, it's interesting to hear Nama talk about uh, some of the updates from them related to micro markets, because we did hear loud and clear that that's the wave of the future. Um, so I'm going to start with uh, New what New Jersey shared, uh, which was Nikki Gakos and uh, Deacon Truesdale, the director and elected committee chair. Um, they said that the franchises uh, are working very well. They have many Dunkin' Donuts there in New Jersey, uh, and those are all doing very well. Um, they uh, talked about micromarkets and said that there's no real clear design, that some are manned, some are unmanned, uh, some serve fresh coffees. Uh, so there's a lot of variety, and again, uh, you all may very well know all of this, but it was very interesting to us, so we're sharing it with you. Um, they are also trying to do business with Amazon and Subway to sell products in their facilities. Um, they are looking into the use of robots to cook hot food items. I guess there's a conference um, this month that uh, is showcasing that in Sarasota. Um, in New Jersey, they're working with something called Robo Burger, and they're working with Costa Coffee, another robot that makes over 200 types of coffee. They're looking to grab Scan and Go, which we see in hotels. Um, they're also looking into non into into more than just food opportunities. Uh, as you know, the priority exists for the National Park Service. They're looking at uh, the Department of Environmental Protection, beaches and parks, um, and maybe solicit bidding opportunities around chair and umbrella rentals um, and other pop-ups during bid season, such as boat and kayak rentals, rock climbing services, et cetera. So it seems like the sky's the limit. Um, and then in Alabama, we heard from Michael Talley and De the elected committee chair and Deborah Myrick um, they have some facilities in hospitals and community colleges 
and they work with on-site technicians that are able to deal with their equipment repair very quickly. Uh, they work, they have many facilities in the private sector. Um, they, they initiated, the SLA initiated something called the vendor secured add-on role that basically states the vendor could go out and recruit private businesses and um, they've really grown their businesses that way. Um, in Washington State, we heard from Jim Hemmes and Robert Miller. Um, most recently, they were able to secure from their legislator a very large, a large amount of dollars to remodel all of their facilities. Um, they're opening up micro markets and are looking wow. into catering through pre-ordering applications as well as deliveries. I didn't mention also in Alabama, they have a website, uh, they develop a website that provides uh, accounts for several small and medium-sized manufacturing companies in the private sector. So as I mentioned, um, we're moving forward with our regional calls to learn more about uh, your work, but to also connect you with one another. Uh, there were a lot of questions on the call related to implementation, how do you get started, uh, so those are the kinds of things that we will probably be covering moving forward. Um, and then finally, before turning it over to Jesse, I just wanted to let everyone know that uh, we're seeing an uptick in solicitation, uh, consultation requests from the military, uh, which is a very good thing. It's very encouraging. We received communication last week uh, from someone in the Army asking if the Randolph Shepard priority applied well before the solicitation is to be released. So that's encouraging, and we continue to be at the table to share the regs and, and let them know that uh, the priority exists in the, in the operation of cafeterias. So that's in, in the cafeteria contracts. So um, well, I will now turn it over to Jesse. You've got to unmute yourself, Jesse. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes, and move your camera up maybe a little bit, your laptop. Yeah, perfect. You, uh, the, the wonders of modern technology, it says hit uh, Alt-A to unmute, and you hit Alt-A, and nothing happens, apparently. So um, that's technology for you. Um, it's good to be with you today. Uh, it was nice to hear some very familiar voices when you went around the room this morning uh, and uh, to hear some new voices as well and some new individuals uh, learning about Randolph Shepard. Uh, my portion of the presentation, I want to go over some, some of the data we were able to pull from the RSA 15 uh, from 2021, the 2022 information coming in, the, the deadline was just recently. So we're starting to compile that information, but we have a good amount of data from 2021. And um, we, we hope to put more information, get more data from those reports uh, to stakeholders than we have in the past. Uh, I think Nikki Gekos mentioned it earlier today uh, about the number of vendors dropping below 1,600, that is. Um, correct. We were at 1,595 at the end of fiscal year 21. That was a drop of about 80 or so vendors from, from fiscal year 2020. Um, and so that trend has continued uh, for 
a number of years lately where the number of vendors continues to uh, decrease year over year. So that's one thing I think that we need to start paying attention to. Uh, one of the things, uh, one of the data points that we track for our report to Congress is average vendor earnings. Um, I think when you hear this number, you're going to say, wow, that's pretty good. Um, because we were back up to um, the average vendor earnings for fiscal year 2021 was $75,818. Um, when you have the same number of facilities but 80 less vendors, that helps to uh, inflate the, the income of the vendors who are still there. And this number also takes into account um, any retirement benefits that were paid, any fair minimum return payments, the FRRP restoration and relief funds that were appropriated and then dispersed during fiscal year 2021 all gets us to that $75,000 um, average income. Uh, we are contemplating trying to figure out how we can um, get an a, a average income number that takes uh, that out, but we, we don't have that today. Um, but we are working to get a truer average income that would be based on facility earnings and not uh, include the things like retirement pay and fair minimum return payments so that we could we get a truer truer average uh, and just to emphasize uh, on that during fiscal 2021 blind vendors through set asides paid nine million nine hundred thousand dollars in set asides and expenditures almost ten million dollars came from blind vendor set aside payments about forty percent of that went to um, to benefit program, the retirement, minimum, uh, fair minimum returns, vacation leave, health insurance. So just to illustrate what I was talking about, if you took the 1,600 vendors remaining and you divided 4 million by 1,600, that would artificially raise everyone's average income by $2,500. Um, also, vendors uh, from vendors set aside, we had 34% uh, of your set asides nationwide went to management services in the states and about 23% to equipment related expenditures, so either purchasing equipment or replacing equipment. Uh, on the other hand, states spent Seven billion, almost eight million dollars. Uh, Seventy-two percent of that was management services, and uh, about fifteen percent to the uh, to facilities, either equipment, initial stock, uh, acquisition of a facility. So, uh, generally speaking, over the expenditures in Randolph Shepherd. A bulk of the overall expenditures are management services, um, followed this year by vendor benefits, and then we get to those facility investments. I think that uh, we need to, as we talk about modernizing and talk about innovating in Randolph Shepherd, we uh, we need to make investments both in our facilities in the, in the future, getting the new 
uh, modern technologies and taking advantage of modern technologies and, and vending and business. But uh, vendors and SLAs also needed to uh, maybe spend some time investing in the future of Randolph Shepard in human capital and getting uh, recruiting new vendors into our program so that there is a Randolph Shepard program tomorrow. We need vendors to, to continue. Um, and I, I think we, with, with all the things that have happened in the past few years, uh, maybe that's an area we've, we've kind of taken our eye off of and uh, figuring out ways to re recruit better in Randolph Shepard. We certainly heard that on some of our calls. Kareen mentioned we had a kickoff call last week that uh, talked on, focused on innovation and Randolph Shepard, this was, this was after we completed a series of calls. We met with every SLA and um, every elected committee chair over the past couple of years to, to learn what was going on in the program. Of course, it was in the middle of COVID, so we were dealing with COVID-related issues uh, on a, a number of those calls. Uh, but we hope that these regional calls that we're about to start will allow us uh, to, to focus back on turning the corner from COVID and how do we move on to have a modern Randolph Shepherd program, how the program can excel in uh, maybe newer ways than we have in the past. Uh, in addition, uh, to the work we've done on those calls, RSA has been um, meeting with a lot of other federal agency partners recently. We continue our work with our colleagues at GSA um, as, as issues arise with GSA. We are working with CDC. Uh, when I first came to RSA in 2014 and 2015, we were in the midst of a um, heavy campaign dealing with uh, healthy vending. And uh, I think there were times where three days a week I was on subcommittee calls dealing with healthy vending. Deanna Jones, who was at RSA at the time, was on another three subcommittee calls dealing with healthy vending. Uh, around 2016, 2017, the latest guidelines were published. And then there was sort of radio silence on healthy vending um, for three to four years. Um, and then those calls have started picking up again. So uh, the RSA team, Kareen, Christine, Jem, and I uh, are prepared to work with our colleagues at CDC and um, the other agencies involved with the work group. We've had several meetings over the past couple months. We have, uh, as Kareen mentioned, a number of agencies have reached out to us um, to get technical assistance on implementing the Randolph Shepard Act in their facilities. So we think that is very encouraging. And we certainly welcome the outreach from our, our federal partners and the opportunity we have to uh, educate them on, on the Randolph Shepard Act. We are uh, working with the Army a little more as they as they work on their consultation requirements and opening those lines of communication. Kareen and I were on several calls towards the end of the last fiscal year and into this one with uh, with the Army 
working with them to ensure that we have a uh, process in place to respond to consultation requests in a timely manner. We continue to meet regularly with our colleagues at Ability One. As you may know, that there was a uh, towards the very end of Mark Schultz's time as commissioner, we signed a, a new memorandum of understanding with the Ability One program that would help us to uh, learn of opportunities that um, if a opportunity comes to the attention of Ability One that may have Randolph Shepard implications, they send it to us to review the work statement and uh, we can uh, we, we let them know whether we believe it's Randolph Shepard or not. Um, and we have continued to meet with Ability One every month uh, to discuss issues that may arise between education and ability one. Sometimes it's not, a, not, not Randolph Shepard related, but uh, we continue to meet with them. We uh, recently uh, were able to uh, meet with the new Randolph Shepard uh, contact for the United States Postal Service. And um, she reached out um, to us for technical assistance uh, because she's very new and the old Randolph Shepard program staff pretty much left before she was put in place. And basically she said, well, I think they left me some CDs with information, but she was trying to reach out and get a firm understanding. So we are working with the U.S. Postal Service to um, help them implement uh, the Randolph Shepard program, make sure they are aware of the requirements of the Randolph Shepard priority. With that, I think that would wrap up my comments and uh, if there are questions and answers for either Karine or I. Jesse, uh, uh, Randall Crosby here, uh, the moderator. I've got a question. Uh, you'd mentioned the FRRP amount in that uh, average of vendors income. It, are you, I'm sure you're tracking the number, and I won't put you on the spot if you don't know the number off at your fingertips here today, but is there a number out there of what, I'm just curious, some others may be curious what the amount of that is. What the actual amount of FRP that went to vendors? Correct. Uh, I don't think we have it today. We will certainly have it soon because states have been submitting their final reports. Uh, on the period of the period of performance went through the end of uh, fiscal year 2022. So the, the overall reports are in. So I would imagine that we would have that number uh, fairly soon. Um, some states, everything went to, to vendors. Some states held some back for set aside purposes. Some states held some for administrative cost. I think we'll have that number in the near future, but we don't. We, we can tell you though, that the total amount was 20 million. Yeah. $20 million were allocated to right. go to vendors. And uh, many of the states used a formula because there weren't quite enough to go around. Some states uh, had more than enough. Um, all the vendors were fully compensated. And when that was the case, if they had a set aside account, they could uh, use it for set aside. So. Uh, we know that uh, all of the states fully drew down all of their funds. There might have been, you know, one or two that that had less than a few dollars, but 
we know that that they were all drawn down. Thank you for that. I'd like to ask a question. Um, this is Artis. Um, in the 2021 report, you said that we lost a number of vendors. Uh, could you tell if um, some of the locations had uh, consolidated some things, like there were more satellites per vendor, and that took the place of having separate vendors, or couldn't you really tell? This was just based off of the number of vendors that states reported operating at the end of the fiscal year. So it wasn't really, it was, it was comparing what states said they had operating at the end of, of 2022, what states said they had operating at the end of 2021. So not really based on facilities so much as just actual people that were still operating facilities at the end of the year. Which really was at the height of COVID because our fiscal year is October 1, uh, 20. Would have been 2020. 21, to 2020, October 1, 2020 yeah. to 930, 2021. So that was really in the thick of things of COVID. Right. But we, we, we told people not to count either if a facility was closed because of COVID but was going to be reopened. We told states not to yes. count that as a facility lost. We, we only wanted facility lost to be those facilities that were not gonna come back after COVID. Um, same, same with uh, individuals, right? If the vendor's facility was closed during COVID, but they were planning, they were, they were still gonna take over once the building reopened, that wasn't a vendor lost. So the, those vendor lost were actually people who left the program. Right. Yeah. I think we have so there were about a hundred fewer, right? In in twenty one than than uh, it was about, it was almost almost I'd say eighty to a hundred yeah. roughly speaking. So excuse me. Um forgive me for my comprehension of the involvement we have with mobility one. Uh, I do military dining. Uh, don't they compete against us when we go out for these contracts? So the, the issue was, the, re the reason there is an MOU is there was a time in where Ability One does have, uh, uh, have dining contracts on the procurement list, which um, for whatever reason in the past happened. The MOU says that if there is a Randolph-Shepard priority, Ability One, if they, they bring it to us and we say, this is Randolph-Shepard, the they cease okay. the effort to add it to the procurement list. And we work with the state agency to say that this should be under Randolph-Shepard. Um, there are uh, items where if, if a state waives the opportunity uh, in a contract round and it goes to Ability One, every five years, they have to approach the SLA to see if the SLA is interested at that time. So the, the, the work with Ability One is to try and resolve the conflicts on facilities um, that have taken place in the past to prevent them from happening in the future. We have a question over here. Richard Eberly, Business Enterprise of Nevada. My question on the DOD contracts is opening this up to our uh, Randolph-Shepard Act program, is that for all DOD 
um, facilities, and does that include the state's Army National Guard and Air National Guard? When you say opening them up, you do, can you can you elaborate a little priority on, for us to have priority on those facilities? Well, the the priority. Uh, for military, it depends what we're talking about. If we're talking about cafeterias, the priority is there, but it's not as concrete as something less than a cafeteria. And I, what I mean by that is if it's less than a cafeteria, those are to be handled by permits and not by contracts. Cafeterias are handled differently, and the priority comes into play after you've submitted a proposal. If the proposal's in the competitive range, we expect that the, the priority will be extended to the SLA. Um, as to your question about National Guards, um, if you can reach out to us with, with you know, a little more background, you know, we'll get a, a, an answer more suited to them. They, if it's on federal property, it's clear that the Randolph-Shepard priority applies. If you're talking about state property, there may be some other items that come into play as far as the, how the priorities apply there. But federal property, Randolph-Shepard certainly has the priority in those locations. Thank you. Thank you. In, one more question here in the room. Okay. Need a microphone so they can virtual folks can hear. Hi, Jesse. Uh, Mike Colburn, Blind Merchants, Minnesota Chair. So uh, you're talking about expansion and those those types of things. Can we use federal dollars for things like uh, franchise fees, permits, infrastructure build out, etc., in private sector? So I will. I'll handle the the when you are talking about acquisition of space. Acquisition of space is allowed to have build out. You build out, not build up. I'll say that. You, just, you can't build the building. But you, uh, if you're preparing a location to, um, to be a vending facility, you can use federal dollars for that purpose to prepare it. Uh, Mike, I'll have to get back to you on the um, on the franchise question and, and the fees, franchise fees. Um, many of you may have been on the uh, last call recently with David Steele, and there were fiscal questions uh, coming around uh, from that, and that are going to be submitted. And I think we can probably we'll take that one back and edit to that list of questions that are coming in to provide guidance on franchise fees. But as far as acquisition, if you are um, preparing a site to be a vending facility, or if you are extending a current vending facility to have more space, the new space you can use federal dollars for. Any other questions in the room or, or virtual? There might be one. Might be one virtual. Does anybody virtual with a question? Just open your microphone. Everybody's able to open their microphones on the virtual side now. No, I guess not. 
All right. Uh, <clears throat> Jesse and, and Corinne, were there more speakers? You, did you mention other people would be speaking yet? Corinne? No, that, that is it. Um, but just you. the two of us today. Uh, Thank you. We really appreciate you having us and look forward to communicating you with the future. Thanks, everyone. Thank, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Court. Well, that's great information from Corinne and Jesse there, and definitely been updated on some things. It's always a, a moving and fluid situation, right? But we have a lot of good information out there, and we're getting more information this week as we move along. I'll turn it over to our president, Scott Egan, for a, a few words now. Thank you. Uh, just a quick couple of uh, housekeeping type items that I happen to think about. Um, I did want to mention that tomorrow evening after our food show, we're going to be having an auction. So please do join us for our auction. We've got 20, 22, 23 items. I, I don't remember the exact number, but we've got quite a bunch of very cool items up for auction again helps RSVA carry on our mission. Um, thank you to all of you so far that have purchased your 50-50 raffle. We'll see who is lucky on Thursday afternoon. And uh, looking forward to that. Uh, final housekeeping note for those SLA folks uh, who would like to join us for lunch. Uh, I would ask that we meet at the Rush Tower elevator. I'm going to have folks that will escort you up to my, I'm going to say this carefully, my suite. Now, those who were there in 2020, I don't have the same digs as Dan did, unfortunately. But we're going to make the best we can of it. So please join us for that. SLA folks, like I said, I've got volunteers at the elevator, at the tower. So please join us there. They'll us usher you up to uh, my, my suite. <laughs> and we will have a, a lunch and a little meeting there. So I'm looking forward to that. And with that, I'm going to hand the mic back to our cruise director. And once again, thank you all for being here today. Scott, yeah. we did have one question about the 50-50 tickets. Okay. And who is selling those and how we would get in contact with that person. Oh, Kathy's right here in the room. Hey, Kathy at AC, from ACB, are you in the room? Can you talk? Raise your hand. Is she here? You want to see Kathy with ACB? She's been... Getting around pretty frequently. If you'll raise your hand, I will come to you. Is that Kathy? No, this is Donna. Donna. Over, there. Over here. Thank you. Donna will help out with that. She's in the room. I've got 12 of those tickets in my pocket, folks, and I'm feeling lucky. <laughs> the way my luck went with the slot machine so far, I've got an omen that my luck's got to turn for the better, okay? Just saying. The tickets should be my luck. It's been fun listening and asking my friends around here, the people I'm meeting, my new friends and folks I know, uh, are you up or down on your gambling here at the casino? Uh, it's kind of split 50-50, by the way. So 50-50 is the theme. Yeah. All right. And also, Scott, I'll remind people, so the food show, as Scott just mentioned, 12 to 5, right? 12 to 5 tomorrow afternoon. Tomorrow. Be sure to get down there to that, folks. USI, we heard from, he'll be there. <clears throat> We've got, what, 20? 22. 22. That's a terrific turnout for our first event since, you know, going through what we've been through these couple of years. That's terrific. So our sponsorship and our turnout to help us and support us is just great. All right. 
We'll move on to our next speaker here. We all deal with acronyms, don't we? In all these government agencies, right? Acronyms, it's our world. When I was at Kennedy Space Center, I learned a ton of acronyms. I love the acronym of our next speaker. She is with the NCSAB. NC does not mean North Carolina. I had to relearn that and get that out of my brain. She's with the National Council of State Agencies for the Blind. And I'm glad I got her title correct there. And we're going to introduce, she's in the room. She is from DC, but she's here in person this time. <laughs> I got that right. Katrina McDonald will give us some updates and what's happening with NCSAB. We're glad to hear from her. Come on up, Katrina. Thank you. Got that one? Good. Thank you very much. Good morning. It's great to be back in person, isn't it? They're just, it's a totally different energy and vibe. Thank you for including NCSAB, and I bring greetings from Carlos Servan of Nebraska, who is the NCSAB president this year, and from the NCSAB executive committee. So today, this is not such a big deal in Las Vegas, but it is a big deal in Washington, D.C. Today, the president will be delivering the State of the Union address. Now, I'm not really much of a gambler, but I would say it is a pretty safe bet that I will be the only person in the hotel tonight watching the State of the Union address. <laughs> you know, you can take the girl out of Washington, D.C., but it's really hard to take the Washington, D.C. out of the girl. So the president will talk about what's been going on in the country, his plans for the next year, and he will make the declaration, what is the State of the Union? The State of the Union is strong. Because that's what they always say, right? And imagine, like, what would be the shockwaves if he said the State of the Union is crap? <laughs> so if you were doing a State of the Union for Randolph Shepard, what would you say? What would you say is the state of Randolph Shepard? Well, we're probably in a state of flux, aren't we? I mean, the changes that have been born upon us in the last three years are orders of magnitude beyond anything that this program has seen in three years, probably since the 30s when it was created. And I don't have to detail those for you. The loss of vendors, the pandemic income loss, the loss of employees in federal buildings, we could go on and on. And we're not the only ones that that has happened to. I kind of feel like right now I'm on this multi-city tour. Um, I left DC on Sunday, I went to New York, I was in Manhattan for meetings all day yesterday, hopped on a late flight last night, and everywhere I went, it was striking and really sad to see what was going on. So I took the train from Union Station in Washington, D.C., such a beautiful building, used to be full of shops and restaurants and movie theater, and it was just a really vibrant place to go and be and hang out. And 
almost every storefront was shuttered. I got to Manhattan and half of the restaurants and storefronts, even really right downtown, um, closed. My hotel window looked out across the street into an office building and fully two thirds of the windows that I could see from my hotel room empty, not a desk, not a chair, nothing. Those offices have just been cleaned out. And over and over again, we're seeing the same thing. We're not alone in feeling this impact. And there are businesses that are surviving, but they have to adapt. You know, my grandmother used to say, if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always got. And I don't actually think that's true anymore. To the extent that we are trying to do what we've always done and take the approaches that have always worked, we're in a new world. And it's not getting us where we need to be. Changes all around us, some of it is new, and some of it is a pendulum that is swinging back and forth. Jesse talked about the CDC and healthy vending. That was a big deal, it got kind of quiet, now it's back again. Um, some folks at the CDC who've been involved in this in more than 10 years have kind of revived the conversations with the White House. They're proposing as much as 75% healthy items in vending machines on federal properties. So that's a conversation we've got to engage in again because it's a renewed threat, especially in an environment where there are so few people in our buildings. Army troop dining, military troop dining. Again, the pendulum swings back and forth. The Army um, Food Innovation and Transformation Initiative is a new variation on what has been an old theme. For those of you who aren't tracking this, um, the Army is proposing a demonstration, so it's not coming everywhere. It's coming to five states, or proposed to come to five states, and it would take current cafeterias and make them into basically food courts. It, it's sort of a college dining facility model with different branded concepts and uh, the, the troops would have a meal card and they'd have a certain number of dollars per day that they can use at any of the, um, of the food choices in the food court. And as part of this proposal, it's a multi-state proposal, the, um, the call for proposals has gone out without the Randolph Shepard priority being acknowledged. Um, it includes construction and fronting money for substantial renovations of facilities, and it's going to be a complex operation and one that the Army has chosen the vendor that they want to have this, and they have not been that interested in engaging with Randolph Shepard. 
And we all owe a debt of gratitude to the Department of Education for weighing in with the military to underscore that the Randolph-Shepard priority applies and RSA is in conversations and negotiations with the Army. It's a renewed threat, but it's taking kind of a new form. And this is something that if the demonstration moves forward and is successful, the Army wants to implement in other places. So even if you are not in one of the five states that is impacted by this, the world doesn't stand still. And other folks are not continuing to do business the way they always have. And we can't continue to do business the way that we always have either. Now, there might be some new opportunities that come out of this. One of the conversations that the Army is having both with RSA and um, with NABM, as NABM has been involved in conversations about AFIT, they want to offer us, or at least they say they do, um, new opportunities for traditional vending and micromarkets on Army facilities. Now, they would like to offer us those opportunities as a payoff to be allowed to go off and do the um, food transformation the way they want to do, and nobody is interested in sacrificing the Randolph Shepard uh, priority for these dining facilities with the promise, not in writing, that we will get additional, tra additional traditional vending opportunities. Um, but there may be some new opportunities coming out of it. We'll have to see. At the same time, we're also facing some really new challenges. And some of these are extremely frustrating. Um, many of them relate to fiscal guidance, and in particular, the application of something called the uniform guidance. And I'm going to take a moment to talk about this because it is starting to have increasingly widespread impact on facilities and vendors. So for many, many years, different agencies developed over time policies and procedures relating to um, spending and what you could spend federal funds, program funds on. And about 10 years ago, somebody said, you know, it really doesn't make sense that a particular program with a certain structure in the Department of Transportation would have different rules and different guidelines and different policies than the same kind of grant program in the Department of Education or the same kind of grant program in the Department of Labor. It really makes sense that if they are the same kind of grant program, they should have the same kinds of rules. So, you know, at a certain level, that makes sense, right? So they sat down and they developed what is called the Uniform Guidance, which is government-wide policy that governs spending allowabilities for different types of programs. 
And the uniform guidance was finalized at the end of the Obama administration and began to be implemented in the second-ish year of the Trump administration. And not only did it change long-time policies, as folks have been monitoring and enforcing the uniform guidance and the fiscal policies in a different way, a whole lot of things we used to be allowed to do, we are now being told we can't do anymore. And it is causing huge frustration for vendors. It is causing huge frustration for state agencies. And none of our program colleagues at the Department of Education would ever be allowed to say this out loud, but I suspect it is causing huge frustration for them as well. Because at the same time that we're all talking about, we've got to change, we've got to be nimble, we've got to respond to customer requests, we need to be able to convert micromarkets, um, vending traditional machines into micromarkets. We need to be able to put card readers on machines for people who aren't using cash. All of these things that we all agree we need to be doing have gotten harder. An example of this is the $1,000 limitation for equipment. So it turns out that government-wide policy used to be that anything under $5,000 could not be defined as equipment, and therefore federal funds couldn't be spent on it. But that was not enforced, and the fact that that was a rule came as a huge surprise to many, many state agencies. Um, RSA negotiated with the Office of Management and Budget and other agencies to bring that $5,000 cutoff down to $1,000 and finalized that rule at the end of, or announced in the Federal Register that rule um, at the end of the calendar year last year. What does that mean? If you need to purchase something for example, an upgrade to a vending machine, and it's under $1,000, it's considered supplies. And federal funds can't be used to purchase supplies once you've gotten past the six-month window of setting up a new location, and that needs to be purchased by the vendor. Well, if you're a vendor who's making twelve dollars or $15,000 or $24,000 a year now in the full flush of the pandemic, you probably can't afford $250 per card reader per machine for that upgrade. And that is something that agencies were doing and that we're now being told they can't do. Unless you happen to be one of the very few and very lucky states where the state has a lower cutoff threshold than the federal government. And if you are one of those states, and for example, Florida, I think um, the, the definition, the cutoff between supplies and equipment is $500, not $1,000, so that gives Florida some more flexibility. But it's still a problem, because if you're looking at 
I don't know, a, a, a vending route with 30 vending machines and you need to put card readers on all of them, that is a lot of money. Um, limitations on renovations are another area and um, where we're struggling to respond to the needs and requests of our customers and upgrade our facilities so that vendors can respond to changing circumstances. Um, but it kind of feels like every direction we turn to try to find the resources to do that, we are stymied by a rule that says you can't spend your money that way. Um, and David Steele participated in the NABM call last week that Corrine referenced um, to provide some additional information and guidance about fiscal rules and what you can do and what you can't do. Some of that information um, is a little confusing and conflicting with what we had recently been told. Um, we are collectively as a community working to submit some additional questions in writing and get some clarification where it felt to those of us in the audience um, that some of the guidance from David was inconsistent with guidance that had been received um, recently. So um, in spite of all of these challenges, we are still in many places making progress. And there are some really bright lights out there. Um, I was thrilled on the NCSAB's Randolph Shepard Committee call on Friday to have a report from a state that talked about opening some new vending facilities um, in Veterans Administration buildings. And we know that the VA has traditionally been very, very difficult to work with. Alaska has been invited to um, work with a hospital to open a childcare center for the employees of the hospital. Um, and that is a really intriguing and creative new opportunity, kind of far afield from food service, but certainly by a certain definition, vending, um, and going to be just a really interesting thing to watch and see how that works. And again, we're really grateful to um, RSA for working with us and DOD to try to find a path forward for Randolph Shepard on the Army Food Transformation Initiative, and also grateful to the states of North Carolina and Colorado, which are in discussions about in the event in the event that the Department of Defense does not honor the Randolph Shepard priority, um, the states are in conversation about what kinds of legal steps they might be willing and able to take to defend the, uh, to defend the priority. So we've got a lot of headwinds. One of the defining characteristics of an entrepreneur is a willingness to take risks where other people don't and where other people aren't. And when it feels like everything is against you, for most of us, our instinct is not to take risks and try something new. For most of us, when we're feeling under attack, 
our instinct is to hunker down and retreat to what we know and the place where we might feel safest. But again, that if you do what you always did, you'll get what you've always got doesn't really apply anymore. And the place that used to feel safe and familiar isn't looking so safe anymore. And so we've got to be thinking creatively and expansively, and we've got to take some risks because we want to leave the Randolph Shepard program stronger for the people who come after us than it was when we all joined. So on this day when I'll be the only person in my hotel room watching the president on TV. I heard one lady out there say she's gonna be here. There'll be two of us. <laughs> I ask you again, what would you say is the state of Randolph Shepard? And what can you do to make sure that it stays strong? Thank you. Thank you, Katrina, and that was great. That was philosophical with optimism and uh, humor. I like it. Let's have some question and answers. Uh, yeah, I think we have someone in the room all ready to go here with a question. Say your name when you're in your state. They're coming with a the mic. They're coming with a mic, yep. Hold up and we'll get a microphone to you. Katrina, thank you for being here. Uh, Michael Talley from Alabama. Hey, this $1,000 limit is extremely concerning to vendors to SLAs across the country. Can we be creative and buy a credit card reader for $1,001 and get four free? Um, the invoice says $1,001. Just asking. I don't know. <laughs> I love that kind of thinking. You know, when the door is closed, is there a window we can open? I am not qualified to answer that question. Um, RSA would be the final arbiter of whether that's allowed, but I, I love the way you're thinking. Um, in the meantime, NCSAB is putting together a letter to RSA ex expressing our concerns about the impact on blind vendors of this $1,000 cutoff. And, um, NCSAB has asked state agencies to please share with us concrete examples of the impact on blind vendors. So, you know, a vendor who wants to put card readers on vending machines and can't do it because their annual income is $24,000 and it would cost $3,000 to put readers on each of their, on, on all of their machines, that kind of thing. If you have examples, please share them with us because we want to finish this letter and get it over to RSA, but the letter is much more powerful and impactful when we have real examples to share. And we will keep states and vendors anonymous. You don't have to um, say who you are, but we would like to have those details to share. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for that question. Uh, I love it because Katrina just said we need to think out the box, take some risk, and Michael Talley is putting it in action right there. Thinking outside the box. Anyone else? Telephone, telephone number 031. You go ahead, please. Oh, hello. 
Hi, this is uh, Steve Baker in Tennessee. Two things very quickly, Katrina, am I right on this, or at least this is a different perspective. Uh, the uniform code that you're referring to, it's my understanding it applies to government unless there's a specific statute passed by the <clears throat> Congress that gives an exception to that. It seems to me that the Randolph-Shepard Act says that, that we are paying for we're paying set aside, and it says set aside is to be used for the equipment. It doesn't say some equipment, all equipment, equipment under $1,000. It says the equipment, and the word the has a definition, which means all. So it seems to me, number one, that we are an exception to the Uniform Code, and that we pay an administrative fee for our equipment, number one. Number two, just because they're saying that they, we can't, the agency can't use set aside funds to pay for equipment does not mean that the vendor is required to do so, unless the vendor feels as though that equipment will make a return on their investment. So if you have a credit card reader and they want it put on a machine that's under $200 of sales, it's not going to add enough sales, it will never pay for itself. So there's no return on your investment. So that's the kind of battles that are gonna be created by this. Um, and in my state, I don't, I don't have credit card readers on a few of my machines because I know the volume is so low, they would never pay for themselves. So I didn't ask the agency to do that. I don't expect the agency to ask me to do it either. Comments, thank you. Thank you. So I apologize in advance if I got this wrong. The, the volume made it just a little hard to be clear, but what I'll, I think- I'll say the volume was extremely loud, Rick, on that one. Oh. It was a little hard because it's oh, so I'm loud sorry. coming so in, but. Yeah. What I, thank you. What I think I heard was two things. Yeah. One, so vendors cannot be required to spend money on what is now being defined as supplies because it's under $1,000, and that is absolutely correct. You cannot be required to do it, um, but there are certainly purchases that would be advantageous to vendors that previously agencies were able to do and now agencies cannot do. Um, the second point was the Randolph-Shepard Act and since it gives authority for these purchases, doesn't that take priority over the guidelines, I think, was the, the gist of yes. the comment? Did I get that right? Yes, you did, yes, thank you. Great. So the Randolph-Shepard Act does give authority to make those purchases within certain limitations and under certain guidelines. And our challenge is that the Randolph-Shepard specific policies that developed over decades that used to facilitate this have now been replaced by the uniform guidance. And so the Randolph-Shepard Act does give authority to purchase equipment, and now, in, for example, in the case of this $1,000 limitation, the um, policy that implements the statute is that it doesn't count as equipment if it's under $1,000. So it, you're absolutely right, there is authority in the law, but the details are filled in by the policy and that's what we're currently tripping over. One solution would theoretically be to change the law and to 
um, add detail to the law that would replace these policies. Um, in general, that is not done and not considered to be a good use of legislation because legislation is really hard to change. And if there's something like a dollar cutoff, you typically want that to be in policy because it's easier to change as opposed to legislation, which is very difficult to change. Let's see. There's but this really sets up, yeah, this really sets up a really stupid kind of, I understand that a stupid kind of policy in that if a credit card reader is purchased on a machine, it's considered a piece of equipment. And if it's added on later on, it's no longer a piece of equipment. How stupid is that? I mean, so, a rose is a rose. So, I mean, that's, can't we, can't we, can't you, can't you define equipment in some other way other than just by the dollar amount? So there are huge unintended consequences to this, and I don't think anybody in this room would disagree that this is um, stupid. Yeah, I think for the sake of time, we'll have to, yeah, yeah, we'll have to keep moving forward on this one. It's going to be a topic yeah, of discussion for many more meetings to come. We've got three or four hands up. Yeah, we'll go on to the next person. We've got a few more minutes for questions. Yep, Randall, i got a question. Okay. My question is like, they, they say there's a thousand. They said in Florida, in Florida, we have our vendors can authorize up to $400. Anything over $400, I got to get approval from the regional service manager. And my question is this I, th I believe they already, to clear up the credit card reader thing, on this last call I was on, they said a card reader is considered a capital improvement, and that would be an except one of the exceptions from the way I understood the conversation. But the other part of my question is this. A lot of, like it was said earlier, a lot of vendors don't make a, some. A lot of our vendors don't make a lot of money, so spending six, six or seven hundred dollars for a, a dollar bill validator at CoinMech is, is, is going to take a lot of money out of their pockets. So therefore, the solution is not to fix the machine and make sure that when it's break, it breaks good, and then we got to replace the machine. And I think that's a lot worse. <laughs> Agreed. Um, the being driven to replace a machine because you can't. Uh, add to it is absolutely an unintended consequence and one that doesn't make sense in any world except the world that we're operating in. The law says that the SLA will maintain or cause to maintain the equipment in an attractive and working fashion. Can you explain how that balances out with this new philosophy? Yeah, so what um, David Steele conveyed on the call last week, and again, we're asking for some clarifications because we thought that we had perhaps found some workarounds on specifically the issue of card readers and coin mechs. Um, if you are fixing something that came with the machine initially, that is repair and maintenance. If you are putting something on the machine that it did not have when you bought it, then that's considered an upgrade and it's not in the repair and maintenance category and that's what gets us into the soup. So um, again, we are in conversations with RSA looking for some ways to make this more workable, um, but right now it is a significant challenge. Thanks, Zach. Mike Colburn. Uh, so Katrina, two, two questions, one quick one. How important do you think it is that we all work together? Agencies, blind vendors, uh, RSA, everyone. 
I'm sorry, how important... How important is it that we're all singing from the same sheet music? So I think that when we can all be speaking with one voice, it's really helpful. Um, understanding we have different roles to play. RSA has to do its job, the state agencies have to do their job, blind vendors have a different perspective and a different role to play, but communication and among all three is really important and coordination and consistency when it's possible is helpful, especially, for example, if we're communicating with the White House, if we're communicating with DOD, if we're communicating with Congress. And then my second one is from the perspective of the agency directors, is there still, is the Randolph Shepard Act still the crown jewel that it, that it was, is putting blind people to work? Is there still excitement? Is there still enthusiasm? Is there still that willingness to to take this forward, or is, is apathy setting in? You know, I think speaking on behalf of all blind agencies and their directors and staff is a challenge. And like any of us, the answer to that question might vary depending on the day that you ask it. Um, state employees, like federal employees and others, have felt very beaten down and burned out through the pandemic. And I remember really clearly a famous conversation, famous to me, conversation that I had early in working with Randolph Shepard, where a state agency director complained to me that Randolph Shepard was 10% of his consumers and 80% of his headaches. You know, if you are a state agency, you're not really rewarded by your governor or your state legislature or just about anybody else for creativity, coming up with um, <laughs> workarounds like the one that Michael suggested. Um, risks are not always encouraged or rewarded. State agencies tend to be very rule-bound, and as an agency, the incentives for being creative um, are hard to create. And so it makes the state government a very awkward fit for a program for entrepreneurs, because entrepreneurs are famously not people who like to follow rules. If we were going to create the Randolph Shepard program today, would we take a bunch of rule-busting entrepreneurs and plop them down in state government? Probably not. So this is not always a perfect or an easy fit. Um, but it's the system that we've got, and there are lots of state agencies that are passionately committed at the agency level and at the staff level to Randolph Shepard, in spite of the complications, in spite of the risks, in spite of the headaches. And um, one piece of evidence that I would offer to you that that is true is that NCSAB's April conference will dedicate one full day of training this year to Randolph Shepard. From 8.30 in the morning till 5 o'clock at night, it will all be Randolph Shepard. So when was we're, that, Katrina? we're doing our best. Um, I think Randolph Shepard Day is Thursday the 20th, April I think, 
of April, April and that will be at the Hyatt in Bethesda. And Is that there going will to be, be virtual also? Um, we do not know if we're going to be able to do a virtual option. We are trying to figure that out and make that possible. And there will be a one-day registration for people who don't want to be there um, Wednesday and Friday. Great. So well, I don't know if we have time. We've got um, this is a big topic. Uh, let's go with another question. Um, you know, hi, this is Max Doherty from California, and I was wondering on the $1,000 thing. Um, we are allowed to buy supplies under $1,000 for new locations. It, has that been uh, established yet, whether it's the vendor's very first location or if he's transferred to another location it, and it being new to him, are we allowed to buy supplies for them? And if so, can we just buy like 50 credit card readers and uh, share them with the other vendors? <laughs> So no, you can't just share them with the other vendors. Although again, I love the creative problem solving. Um, so this question of what exactly counts as the first six months is another thing that was a little fuzzy coming out of the call last week. Um, and we're getting some clarifications on if it is a new, brand new facility, um, that's clear. And if it is a brand new vendor, um, for the first six months, that's clear, and after that it gets, or if you're adding on to a facility. Um, so it's an existing facility, but you're adding additional machines or um, reconfiguring it with additional space, that's clear. Everything else we are looking for additional guidance on. Thank you. Katri Katrina, while you're watching the president tonight, um, <laughs> Any, any word that you think that he might bring federal workers back to work in the federal workplace? So I think it's unlikely that he is going to make that announcement tonight, um, although I suppose it is theoretically possible. There is a huge amount of pressure on the White House to bring federal employees back um, at a minimum three days a week and um, in the view of folks who are advocating for this full time. Um, advocates include uh, the city of D.C. and its federal representatives, which have obviously been hugely impacted by this, as well as um, there's a resolution that's being prepared by the House of, Resolu of Representatives um, around bringing people back. Um, I think the best insight we have right now is talking to our partners at GSA who um, anticipate that the shrinking of the federal footprint in office buildings will continue. And even when federal employees are brought back, quote unquote, full time, um, they're looking at 60 to 75 percent. Yeah. Because um, we've heard talks even in the private sector where it, without subsidies, food services change tremendously. Unless there's Absolutely. subsidies, there's just nothing they can do because people are coming back. Mondays and Fridays are almost nothing in anywhere, private sector or you know, state buildings or whatever. So it's three days a week and you just don't know how many people are coming. So the private sector is looking for subsidies. Otherwise, it's, it's, yeah. it's going to change and we know there's no subsidies for us. So. So here's a factoid for you on how empty those office buildings are on Monday and Friday. I live 10 miles away from my office on Capitol Hill, and I can get from my house to my office faster on Monday or Friday than I can on Saturday or Sunday. 
because there is less traffic heading downtown on Monday and Friday than there is on the weekend. All right, it looks like we Are might Are there questions? Have... Maybe in virtual? Any Rick? Any virtual questions? Anything there, Rick? Are we good? All yep. right. No, we're good. I know it's thank a big you. topic, but thank you for that. Uh, yeah, good round of applause for Katrina there. Uh, I want to, y'all commend Katrina for taking on, that's a tough topic, uh, with some grace and composure there, Katrina. Get that lady a strong drink, you know? Okay. <laughs> after that session, I'm going to need one myself after this. So we're getting it down to the wire on my shift here. Uh, I got one more speaker to introduce here in a minute. Uh, I'll be turning it over to Donna Siegler, uh, another board member here with RSBA. I want to say a couple things here uh, as we move forward. The cruise is going well as your captain and cruise director. We are cruising at a speed of, uh, I don't know, 1,000 miles per hour, man. It's moving. And I've been informed there are no icebergs in our future for today. The Nevada weather is beautiful. I've also been told by my first mate, mate I've got jaws in my right ear on an earbud, and i got... My first mate radioing me on my left ear. My first mate just informed me we are going to be sailing as smooth as a balloon flying out of China. <laughs> Think about that. That could be good or bad. I don't know what that meant, but that's my first mate. Okay, I'm not disclosing his name for his own safety. Moving along. Uh, I've got a note on the agenda about Jeff Tom, who is virtual. He's a RSVA registered retired attorney and advocate. Uh, Tom, Jeff, did you want, it says to make a note that you will be available for questions. I know you're virtual. Take a minute. Randall, we have one more speaker this morning. I'm sorry? Uh, we have one more speaker this we morning. We do, right. Uh, so you should move on to that. Okay, Thank we'll you. do that and then we'll get back to Jeff Tom to inform us on that. Okay, great. Let's move on to my last speaker before we turn it over to the next moderator. Uh, our final speaker on my watch here is Scott Egan, he jokingly told me the other day when we were reviewing the agenda, he said, this will be the easiest name you'll have all day long. I don't think I butchered anybody's name. I hope not today, but we now have out of Minnesota, the owner of State Farm Insurance of Oakdale, Minnesota, and it's Amy Brown to talk to us about some insurance options today. Good morning, Every everyone. My name is Amy Brown. Can you hear me okay? Yes. We do, we do. Good. Thank you for having me. And Katrina, she's going to be a tough one to follow. <laughs> yep. Yes. You'll do well, though. <laughs> You've got this. You know, she, she talked a little bit about risk, and that's something that we look at every day at State Farm is managing risks, whether it be business owners or personal risk. There's always a need to manage different angles of risk. And so that's what I'm going to talk a little bit about today. Um, Scott asked me to talk a little bit about the business owner's needs for insurance. I'm going to talk about business asset protection. We'll talk about employee benefits and employer liabilities. Okay, so that's what I'm going to kind of focus on today. And um, hopefully I can bring up some topics. I don't know if it directly is in line with what I'm, what I'm speaking to as far as your specific business needs, but I'm going to try to be general and talk um, in big terms, okay, about insurance. Um, so my background a little bit is I came out of underwriting, so I've got a 
little bit of a background on risk in general and how to look at different things and identifying um, what goes into the insurance piece. So from the business asset protection, um, as you are an entrepreneur and you've taken on the risk of running a business, some of the things that you need to protect would be your assets. So you're gonna look at protecting your auto, your business auto, um, could be your covering cars, trucks, vans, any other vehicles um, that get, might be going between job sites. If it would be considered a business vehicle, if it's titled in your business name, or if you have employees that could be driving your vehicles, or could be driving their own personal vehicles, but out representing the company um, or in between jobs. So those are business exposures that could be something you would need to think about. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about auto liability, um, but then also insuring the actual physical vehicles as well. So you need to have you know, coverage for physical damage on the car in the event you get in a car accident. So making sure we can help repair the vehicle and get you on your way again, okay? Other type of policies we look at for business owners, um, it could be that you would need a packaged policy like a general liability policy. So if you're going on premise somewhere else, you're going to somebody else's business location, in order to get your foot in the building, sometimes the other organizations will require you to provide a certificate of insurance. So that's just showing with evidence of insurance that you've got liability in play um, in the event something happens in and around your business that we would then be able to defend you and provide any um, coverage or liability that you could be held liable for, okay? So that general liability policy comes in the form of like a business owner policy. So within the business owner policy, um, we would be protecting the interest of any individual or sole proprietor. You could be a corporation, you could be a partnership or an LLC or any other legal entity that we're looking to protect in the event something comes up in the business and you could your business could be held liable for. So that general liability policy and package policy can provide coverage for, I already mentioned liability, so it could be give you some liability coverage. It could provide you some coverage for those um, non-owned cars that maybe employees would be driving or hired vehicles. Um, it could also provide coverage for your uh, pers business personal property. It could be your inventory. It could be your equipment. Um, those are the other items that are covered on that business owner's policy, okay? So those are some of the things that we look at. Um, but if you actually own a business office building or you own a location that maybe it's your um, officing out of a um, some sort of a building, we could provide some coverage for the structure of the building. Um, that would be an asset of yours. Um, or you could be just leasing space where um, there could be a situation where there could be a trip, slip, or fall, and those are liability um, situations that could come up where we would be defending you, making sure we have protection in the event of an injury-related accident. We can um, help you out and uh, pay attorney fees, things like that. 
So when we're looking at business owner policies, um, their package policies, and they're encompassing the liability along with building coverage or your business personal property, okay? The other type of coverage that comes into play um, potentially could be workers' comp coverage. Workers' compensation, it protects employees against work-related injuries or illnesses. Um, every state has different requirements, so it's specific to the state. You're gonna want to get involved with your state and find out if it's something that um, is required of you, especially if you do have employees. Um, it provides them benefits for injuries and illnesses arising out of the course of the employment. The policy may provide payment for medical treatment, temporary and or permanent disability, and death benefits. So work comp, like I said, it's required in almost every state. It also provides valuable benefits um, to your employees while providing protection for you, the business, from a legal exposure. Um, so when we're looking at insuring someone on a general liability policy, package policy, we many times are also talking about workers' comp. We wanna make sure that both angles are covered. If you have employees, or even if you're the sole proprietor or an LLC, but you are then being asked to provide work comp to show evidence that you have work comp on yourself. So there's sometimes situations where you could be required to carry work comp even though you don't have employees, but um, some businesses requiring you to carry it on yourself, okay? So that's another type of work, well, it's the same type of policy, but it's a work comp that would then provide coverage for yourself. Okay, um, when I'm looking at other potential products to explore, um, we look at commercial liability umbrella policies where it's gonna give financial protection against costly lawsuits that exceed your underlying limits. So if there's an injury related accident, whether it be a car accident, it seems like the most common things that happen where if you um, um, go through all of the underlying limits of liability on your auto policy, that's where the umbrella policy would be a million dollars or two million dollars in excess of your underlying auto policy. So it's really designed to um, <clears throat> help out in those costly lawsuits. It would pay any um, defense costs beyond that, okay? Um, the next type of coverage that we look at is uh, professional liability or errors and emissions type policies. Um, and that would help pay defense costs and judgments that arise from professional negligence, error or emission claims. Okay, so sometimes they come up, I'm not 100% sure if it would be anything in your business that would come into play. I think part of being in business today, one item that comes up a lot is cyber, electronic fraud, and cyber deception. So there's specific coverage out there that can be purchased for cyber. And um, we're seeing more and more situations come up on that. Um, and that's important coverage to think about if you're dealing at all um, with taking money electronically and potentially having that exposure of a database um, of the, where you would collect someone else's personal information and have it anywhere in storage. So. Um, that's one other item. We also, a lot of times with business owners, we um, 
offer surety and fidelity bonds, and then also anything to do with um, mobile equipment like tools where we would offer inland marine policies in conjunction with a general liability policy. Um, so those are some of the items that come up when we're trying to protect business assets, okay? So when we're looking a little bit further into employee benefits, sometimes comes up as far as if you have employees to provide a group life insurance policy to those employees. Um, that was one of the benefits that are offered. Other type of employee benefits, of course, would be your uh, 401ks, your simple or your SEPs, um, are opportunities to save not only for yourself, but also to provide some coverage for employees as well to have a long-term investment type plan. Um, and then the last item I was gonna speak about as you as the um, owner could be potential for long-term disability. So this would be a monthly income replacement based on your occupation class and it identifies when you're unable to work due to an injury or an illness. So this provides monthly income um, in the event of a disability. So it, it defines that as being unable to perform the substantial or material duties of your occupation at the time of such disability begins. So um, you would have you know, some amount of underwriting to go through on the front end. They look at different factors, but if you're looking for an opportunity to replace income, um, that's a great way, I think, to, to look at that. Um, if, if you ever did have a situation where you couldn't return to work due to an illness or an injury-related accident, this will help out with income. And then there's just a couple other ones I wanted to talk about today, is if you have this business and um, there's ways to purchase life insurance to provide a situation in, upon death that you have a buy-sell agreement in place that would allow then um, a transfer of your business um, in the event of uh, a death of, a, of an owner. So um, those are ways that you would work with an attorney or another financial advisor to give you some advice on how to set up the actual legal agreement, but it, it allows you then to have a transfer of your business upon death. And so you can fund that with life insurance um, and make sure that's happening, especially if you have a, some sort of a partnership or something along that lines, to make sure that you could buy out the other partner or at least have some amount of money available to help um, upon death. Uh, for the business. And then the last one is key person insurance. So if you have an employee who's a rock star and that um, you're, you'd be interested in insuring the life of that key employee, um, that's when your business would then purchase life insurance on that key employee, it would name itself as the beneficiary. The intent of that policy really is just to cover the loss of income or the increased expenses from the key employee's death. And so typically it's a life uh, term type of life insurance gets purchased. Um, and then the valuation is you estimate what the cost of finding, hiring and training a replacement person. Um, it could include your uh, employment agency fees, any moving expenses, and then the, uh, the owner's time spending interviewing and training that replacement. And then the other way to think about it would be um, 
the amount of profit that was brought into the business each year by a particular employee and then for how many years would it take for a replacement employee to perform at that same level. So there's a couple ways of evaluating um, how much insurance to put on it, but those are a couple of ways to protect yourself um, in a life insurance, um, um, I guess a life insurance role there. So. I'd like to thank Scott for inviting me to come speak with you guys today. It's a real pleasure. Thank you, Amy. Uh, we appreciate that. I think Scott had to leave the room at this time, but any questions for Amy? Okay, we, we are a little over time here today. We've had some great topics discussed. Thanks again, Amy. We appreciate the information from you. No problem. Have a great day. Amy, did you want to provide a way of contacting you if interested or through Scott maybe? Yeah. Or yeah, I'll go ahead and give Scott my information. Yeah, okay. Yes, thank you. All right, great. At this time, uh, it's great timing. My laptop tapped out we on me, the battery. A, we so. have an ending code. Yes, thank you, Artis. Here's the code. I'll give the ending code, and it is A. One seven eight W. Again, that is A one seven eight W. Thank you. And Artis. then uh, Scott wants to give a couple door prizes. He can do that. I think Scott left the room. Artist, did you want to cover that? Oh, okay. Yeah, I've got. Um, can you get that? Okay. Um, yeah, I can get that here. Just a second. Let me. Uh... Stand by, folks, and uh, we'll soon be wrapping this up for the lunch break. Okay, Melissa Smith. Is Melissa Smith in the room or online? If she's online, raise your hand. Melissa Smith. Any hands going up for those that can see hands or speak up? Not virtual? Nope. Artists, they're not here apparently. Melissa okay. Smith, last call for Melissa Smith. No. Okay, the next one is David Stevens. Oh, David Stevens. Uh, he may be virtual. He's definitely not in person. That's a Florida vendor and board member. Rick, is David Stevens online? No. No, sir. Okay, that's two people so far that are missing out by not being present. David Stevens? No. The next okay. one is Corey Markham. Repeat the name. Kentucky, Corey Markham. Corey Markham is online. Okay, cool. Well then, Corey Markham gets one. Let's hear from Corey. Can you unmute? All right, we know she's there. Congratulations, Corey. We have a winner. All right, did you want to do another one, artist? Or um, yes, uh, Carol Travers from Colorado. Travis is here in the room, they say. All right, Travis. We've got a winner Carol there. Travers. Yeah, okay, got it. He's okay, in the room. Thanks. Thank you. All right, congrats to the winners. Thank you, Artis. And at this time, as I was saying, my laptop just died on me. Good timing, because that's where I was reading all my information about the agenda, getting through the information there with the names and all that. All right, so, uh, oh, Jeff Tom. Artis, did we want Jeff Tom to... How do we handle that? He's virtual. Is he available to speak to people one-to-one? -one? Uh, uh, yeah, he's, his phone number is in the agenda. So if you have any um, Randall Shepard-related 
issues or questions, you can call him. Um, his number is listed in the agenda. That's Jeff Tom, T-H-O-M. He's a RSVA retired attorney and advocate. So any questions, reach out to Jeff Tom. And his number's on the agenda. All right. Artists, at this time, uh, are we breaking for lunch? Is that right? Artists? Yes, now it's yeah. lunch until uh, 1.30. So come back at 1.30 Pacific time, everybody. And that's it for now. Thank you, everyone.